0: My name is Jenny.
1: My name is Ted.
0: My name is Gray. And,
1: and this is, is Anamorphology.
0: The invasion, the visitor, the encounter, the message, the predator, the capture, the stranger, the, am- the secret, the android, the forgot, the reaction. the chain, the unnecessary warning, the decision, the of departure, the secret discovery, the, the proposed threat, the winged conspiracy, the invasion, the, invasion, the, the deception, the suspicious, the sacrifice, the, 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 the diversion, the, answer, the beginning. All right, so we read Book 30 this week. What the do you remuner. think of it? I loved it. Wow, all right. I, I it. Yeah, I loved it too, actually. All right, Jenny. I had such a weird reaction to this one. What was it? So, first of all, I don't really remember it at all. Like, mm-hmm. there are a few, like, I remember Marco being a cockroach in, like, the, at the bottom of Visser One's car. Like, that is what I remember of this book. I, and I remember that he, like, makes her go off a cliff at the end. And I don't know if it was because I didn't remember it or, like, what, but particularly the beginning sat really weirdly with me. It didn't feel like an Animorphs book.
2: That's so and, interesting.
0: And there have been other ones that I haven't remembered well. I feel like maybe they've come back a little more as I've read them. So I don't know if it's just like, it didn't feel like an Animorphs book because it didn't feel like something I read back when I was a teenager. And I I did have some specific like quibble, like the beginning was weird. It was like, really, this is what happens. This is how he finds Visser 1. And I feel like, and then they didn't get together as a team very much for a while. And it just felt really off to me. And that that kept it from clicking in the way I wanted it to, even though there were a lot of, there was a lot of really good content. And I feel like I should have liked it a lot more than I did.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Why did you love it, Gray? I liked –
3: it was the the fun adventure parts in the middle were really interesting. Mm -hmm. I liked all of the Marco's leadership skills. (laughs) I have to say one of those – Such as they are. Such as they are. But I I wanted to say I'm really impressed by how well the two of you managed to hide things from me. Yeah? Not just major spoilers, but we had this whole conversation a couple of episodes ago about – what would happen if Jake was out of commission? Like, what which,
0: <laughs> okay. would be You're giving charge? me credit
3: for remembering that that happened, though, which I did not. But it happens with more things than just this, right? You guys okay, are yes. very good at, like, what a great question. Let us talk about that for a little while in the context of the <laughs> Pretend book. we don't have any knowledge that it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And then it turns out, then there's, like, a whole conversation about, okay, Jake isn't going on this mission. Who's going to be in charge? <laughs> Mark was like, okay, let's do that. I thought it, it pulled in a lot of the ideas we've been talking about. I don't know. I, I, I found it, like, it was a fun romp, but also there were those moments of pathos that I, I really enjoyed. Ted?
1: Yeah, I think this is my favorite Marco book so far. I think it also might be the best ghostwritten book so far. Mm. I also noticed that the beginning was, like, off, but I appreciated both. We I think we got, like, a little more... Like straight up description than we usually do. And I appreciated the narrow focus on Marco. Mm-hmm. There were some plot mm-hmm. holes for sure in <laughs> the opening caper, which yes. we can get into, but I'm not sure that there are more than in a normal animal story. Oh, no,
0: that might be true. Um,
1: but the yeah. thing, the thing that I loved about it was from the beginning, it reminds me the most of book 13. It's just like one plot mm-hmm. all the way through and it keeps escalating up to this like really, really dramatic outcome. And like mm-hmm. the tight thematic focus is this woman, this or one, or is she Marco's mom? I thought
3: mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah, that's a really good point. I do think the the beginning struck me like this, but there are a few chapters later on as well that felt superfluous, mm. or, or maybe not superfluous, but just more detailed than these books usually are. Like, there's mm. an entire chapter where it's just this or three talking to his minions while they walk up a mountain. I was like, <laughs> why? Well, I, I don't understand why this chapter is here. Usually we would have, there'd be a whole other caper in this chapter, and yet... Instead, we've got this, I guess it is the tight focus, but I, I thought that was one of the uh, examples of ghostwriting being slightly out of character for the books. Mm, I have Thank some you. more thoughts on that, but I would love to hear what happens in the book before well, we talk too much about it. Well, let me tell you about it. All right. Okay, so in this book, um, Marco. it begins with Marco having bad dreams about his mother's death. So he decides to skip school and go downtown, where he gets knocked over by a commuter with a giant briefcase. I sympathize. He realizes the commuter is actually his mother, a.k.a. Visser 1, who is still alive after the events of 15. Uh, Marco sneaks into a high-rise building to follow her and makes a series of dumbass decisions to find out where she's going. He then heads back to school and calls a meeting of the Animorphs. They realize Visser 1 and Visser 3 are trying to destroy one another and decide to take advantage of that. Marco, Tobias, and Axe head off on a recon mission, wherein they go on an amazing roller coaster ride down a railing in cockroach morph. It's pretty cool. Uh, they discover Viscer 1 has a portable Candrona, or an emergency Candrona particle generator, All right, and also that she's about to be killed by Viscer 3's forces. They save her and offer to help her destroy Viscer 3, which she plans to do by revealing the existence of the Free Hork-Bajir to the Yurk Council of Whatever. Marco comes up with this crazy plan that requires him to find an animal native to mountains, so he acquires a mountain goat morph. Marco then convinces the Animorphs to go along with his strategy, which involves them leading Visser One, Visser Three, and their respective troops to the top of a mountain where they will have a face-off. In the process, Visser One realizes the Animorphs are humans. When they arrive on the mountain, Visser Three blows up a car that contains Jake and Cassie, so the others have to go on without them. Mr. one and Mr. three arrive at the top of the mountain and are shown a hologram of the hork Valley, thank you Eric, and all their cool spaceships appear and there's a shootout. Marco ends up with his mother separated from everyone else, just as he's about to push her over a cliff, Jake shows up, yay, and stops him, but his mother still falls over the edge, presumably to her death. The free hork and Axe join the battle, and the Animorphs live to fight another day, as does Mr. three. Marco is really upset about the events of this book, obviously, and his mother's death, until Rachel shows up and tells him there's no body again. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. the end
1: that was great <laughs> also when you matter-of-factly explain the end of this book it's just like oh wow That's so ridiculous
3: <laughs> yes okay. it kind of a little bit is this is one of the ones where i'm not sure how much the animorphs helped
1: <laughs> yeah it was kind of a kind of a failure but i so want the animorphs anime for that like final scene where Visser 1 and Visser 3, as like a giant chameleon crab, are like arguing with each other on top of a mountain, <laughs> where there's like a goat there. And then it's like, I've got spaceships in the sky. I've got bigger spaceships in the sky. <laughs> you know, like back and forth. So amazing. I, I love it so much.
0: I realized while you were talking, Gray, I think one of the things that felt so weird to me about this book is the thing where like a third of the way into the book, Marco's like, I have this plan, and then we don't really find out what the plan is. Like we just sort of watch it play out. And I feel like usually in the books they're a little bit more reactive and proactive, sort of trading off, like trying things and seeing how it goes, and like getting more and more enmeshed in the thing. And this was sort of Marco jumping to the end in his mind, and then having events go towards it. And it felt there was like it felt weirdly really disconnected or something. I don't know. I'm That's still trying to put my finger on like why yeah. this felt so For weird. For me, that just me. like plays
1: up the tension.
0: Yeah, no, um, it's like I feel not like a bad narrative technique. The
1: other thing, the other thing, it's similar in thirteen because they come up with actually a very similar yeah. plan. But at they the only the come book. up
0: with it like it's more like two thirds of the way through. It's like after they've been through all of this other stuff.
3: Right. I don't know.
0: I'm I'm still trying to figure out why.
3: I can see that. There's a lot of. Um, there, there's a lot of description of Marco seeing the shining line, the that clear is bright the, line, the clear bright line that is the strategy that he is following. Yeah, um, and I agree that it it felt like that was unexplained for much longer than I might have anticipated, yeah. because there's there's a whole middle chunk where they are planning for this mm-hmm. end event, but we as the readers don't know what it's going to be, yeah. and while that Builds the narrative tension. It There were also several chapters where I was like, the only thing that happened in this chapter was Mark was like, I still have a plan. <laughs> i like, a great plan. I was like, yeah, did we need this chapter?
0: I mean, it is like a – it is a classic heist technique, mm-hmm. like telling a heist, you know, where you don't say what happens so then you can have the plan go mostly according to plan.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I think it just felt like we didn't get to see the anamorphs being the anamorphs in the way we usually do. I think that was maybe mm-hmm. why – Yeah, Yeah. it felt weird to me.
3: Yeah, there were a lot fewer sort of group dynamics. It felt very internal to Marco. Yeah. And specifically his relationships with people, but there wasn't a ton of like, we are a group and we are doing a thing.
0: Yeah. Right. Marco was really pulling all of the the strings.
1: Do we want to talk more group dynamics or more about Marco's clear, bright line?
0: Let's talk about Marco's clear, bright line.
1: I feel like the clear, bright line thing is the best description of Marco's logistics brain
0: yes. that we've gotten in the
1: series so far. It's really good. And I think almost certainly this version, I can't think of a better version in the series than what we get here describing how Marco works.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, agreed.
1: Yeah. And it's it's amazing because you both get him describing his ruthless side saying like, but I don't feel like evil. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's so, it's so apparent to me what the solution is that I'm like compelled to go along with it. And he has even this like yeah. negative self-talk associated with it. Like especially once things start going wrong. He's like, oh geez Marco, you know, your great, like amazing plan, but <laughs> and then the other voice in his head is like, actually it still works. You just have to be take Jake's mm-hmm. part now. Right? Like mm-hmm. and he, he, he almost can't escape from his logistics brain.
0: Can I read the thing that he says? Please yeah. do. he says people don't understand the word ruthless. They think it means mean. It's not about being mean. It's about seeing the bright, clear line that leads from A to B, the line that goes from motive to means, beginning to end. It's about seeing that bright, clear line and not caring about anything, but the beautiful fact that you can see the solution, not caring about anything else but the perfection of it. And I I had a note in the text next to that. I just said, Slytherin. (laughs) Like, this is why Marco is a Slytherin. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Before we're off with the Hogwarts thing. He later <laughs> says that Jake is also addicted to the bright, clear line.
0: Yeah, so which is throw interesting. So i that in the,
1: in the ring for my Jake is a Slytherin. I
0: noticed that. And I was like, that is interesting. Is Jake being more like, has he been pushed more in a Slytherin direction by the war? Because I don't think he was like that at the start. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You're so right, Ted, that he has all of these thoughts about like, okay, but like after the war, we're going to be household names, and which is interesting because we don't really oh, see anyone I, else yeah, thinking about that. I love that whole that.
1: chapter. That was so good.
0: Yeah, there basically is. Like, Gray, you were saying there's this there are these random chapters. There was a chapter that was just Marco thinking about the plan. And I actually thought it was a great chapter. Like, I think it, it kind of was necessary. And things can move so fast in these books. And like, occasionally you get these moments. Like, I feel like in 22, we had a chapter like this when Rachel was just like, thinking about what she'd done to David like with the fork in his ear at the school. And it was just a chapter of her just like going in her head, like would the others have done this, like am, am I, what am I turning into? And this was a similar like chapter of like so much is going on in his brain. It just kind of needs to be out there. And I think it kind of worked.
1: Can we, She can we just talk about that chapter? Yeah. Cause it's, he has this, um, the whole thing where he, uh, they go on the recon mission and he kind of hijacks it to say, actually now it's a mission to, assassinate Visser 1 Visser 3.
0: Yep. and Three.
1: 3. And he stays up all night avoiding telling Jake because he wants to get all of his ducks in a row um, to make the best presentation possible. And then he's trying to sleep that night after he's acquired the goat morph and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and he can't sleep. And then he's he's playing through not just the conversation that he's having with Jake, trying to win him over and say, like, look, you, we have to go along with my plan. Mm-hmm. But then he's also trying to justify the plan to his dad later mm-hmm. after the war. He's then and to his, try- mom. And to his mom, right? <laughs> also gloating to Visser One. He's imagining yeah. all these conversations that might not even happen. And then he has that thing you alluded to, Jenny, where he thinks about what if a kid is like studying studying me in a history mm-hmm. class in the future, right? And they explain this whole plan where he he kills Visser One and the kid is just like, wow, that's so cold. Mm-hmm. So cold, man, and he can't. Mm-hmm. He he sort of can't get over <laughs> that very detached and fair assessment yeah. of. It's yeah. what like, he's like, I doing. had to do it,
0: kid. It was a war. It's the whole point, you stupid, smug, smirking little jerk. To this kid that only exists in his head, don't you get it? It was the whole point. We hurt the innocent in order to stop the evil. It's like no choice, you punk. We did what we had to do, and then I think the chapter ends with just a quote from this hypothetical kid. Cold man, the Marco dude. He was just cold. It's like it both, both things are true. Like they, they coexist. I was really interested in the, actually the part that I just read before about like not caring about anything, but the perfection of that, like bright, clear line that you've seen the solution. And I remember when, when Kevin was on the podcast, he was talking about how Marco cares about motivation and Cassie cares about results. And that's the difference between their morality. And I think that that is an aspect of it. But I think, I think this is maybe cutting a little more to the heart of it where like Cassie thinks you have to care about everything. Like, there's Mm. never anything you can opt out of caring about. Like, you maybe still have to make a choice, but, like, there is no step of the moral process or, like, part of the moral field that you can't, that you're allowed to not care about. And Marco does have this ability to be like, okay, this is the important thing. I'm going to choose not to care about this. And sometimes he can't do that totally cleanly, but he thinks that's what he should aim for. Mm.
1: Yeah, and he's... It's not just that he can see it, but also that he, he believes in it. He like, mm-hmm. he, he thinks it's what's right. He thinks the right thing to do is to try and win at all costs. Yeah. Right.
0: Hurt the innocent in order to win. Yeah. Right.
1: And, and he, like, he sees himself as ruthless. And he, I guess it reminds me of how Rachel is trying to own the, like, she's the, uh, uh the blunt object. She's the violent one in the group. She does the, the messiest stuff. Mm -hmm. marco here is trying to own that like i'm the detached ruthless thinker and that is my role and Uh his once he has the idea like the thing that's jumping out to me in this chapter we were just reading when he's he he talks to jake he talks to trying to convince him he he tries to justify to his dad and then he goes back to jake and he's like jake don't ever doubt me again. I did it. I saw the big picture. Don't doubt me. I did what had to be done. Right? He's like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I need to do. And then the whole thing escalating up to the end is like, is he going to be able to actually go through with it? And he can't, right? He yeah, fails at the, the end. is no. Which is a fascinating. Given that we have all of this, like, foreshadowing and Marco seeing himself, putting himself in this box, yeah, at the end, yeah. he can't actually value the mission over his mom.
3: I thought... Well, I have, I have two things. One, I thought he did go through with it. The only reason he doesn't hit her off the cliff is Jake stops him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he it's not really clean one way or the other, but like he isn't able to maintain his detachment, I guess. Like you have the thing where he has to take Jake's role because Jake is, you know, he thinks Jake is dead. And so he has to be the one to talk to his mom at the end and show her the hork Valley. And he says, in open thought speak, not to get all Prince of Egypt on you, but behold. And I read that and I was like, Marco, everyone else has been doing a fantastic job of impersonating Andalites. You are not an idiot, and yet you just said this. And then in the next page, he's like, yeah, I'd given myself away deliberately. I wanted her to say my name. And he realizes he just like compromised them in this horrible way because he wanted so badly this thing that has nothing to do with the bright clear line that's Mm -hmm. just... Him wanting his mom to say his name. Uh,
1: I love, I love it so much. And then it just occurred to me now, reading it back, she never says Marco.
0: Mm -mm. No, you're right. She
1: she She says the boy. It's the boy. It's the boy. Yeah, Uh, that's so tragic.
3: Yeah, the person. It's it's very tragic. But one thing that I loved about the ending bit was that his mother never, I never calls him by name, but Rachel and Jake do. Oh so at that oh. part the deliberately I wanted her to say my name. I wanted her to say, Marco, I love you, I miss you, I'm still here, and he realizes and he starts beating himself up about it. Mm-hmm. And then in his head is a voice that says, It's okay, Marco. A gentle mm-hmm. voice answered, but not my mom, Rachel. It's okay, man. It's okay. Yeah. And then when he's uh he, he launches himself at his mother, it's the boy, she whispered, it's the boy, and he's panicking. And Jake says, hang on, Marco. Mm-hmm. Hang on, Marco. And it's just this, like, they they speak to him. They tell him what he needs, and it's not his mom. Yeah. He doesn't have that from her, but he does get it from Jake and from Rachel.
0: And it's an okay thing to need. It is, I yeah. mean, it's, it's an inevitable thing to need, mm-hmm. this, like, people calling you by name, having this human connection. So sweet.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there is a part where Bisser 1... For some reason, oh, Viscera 3 attacks Viscera 1, and Marco attacks Viscera 3, but then causes Viscera 1 to miss with her Dracon beam shot. So, like his his lack Mm -hmm. of detachment perhaps allows viscer three to like get away and live right so like
0: maybe yeah
1: later on he does kind of he says to rachel at the end i was going to go through with it then i wasn't going to go through with it then i was (laughs) going to go through with it but so what i'm he can't hold to it what i'm saying is he can't hold to it He 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 is not by not acknowledging his like human side he ended up making a lot of tactical mistakes right at the end
0: and he also like he tries to have both at the end this is like the final standoff he's gonna do it uh she stared at me she moved to aim the weapon at me i lowered my head and felt the power in my legs it would be a hundred foot drop i love you i whispered and then i lunged the boy she whispered amazed it's the boy and then that's when jake shows up Mm -hmm. but like that's the thing where like he says i love you and then goes to kill her he's trying to have both things and it doesn't Mm -hmm work and I think Jake recognizes that it wouldn't work and that it would, it would destroy him and that's why he holds him back but yeah, yeah he is he is trying to have two incompatible things at the same time
3: yeah so one thing I wanted to mention was we talked about you know Marco's the, the clear right line thing and one thing that I found really interesting about that was he's he starts off what you read earlier that people don't understand the word ruthless mm-hmm. and I'm sure you guys noticed this, but that word actually comes up three times in this book. Mm. The first time is, um, you know, the one word Yerkes always use in describing Andalites? Ruthless. And so he's really, he's taking on the role of an Andalite warrior and trying to be as ruthless as possible. But Mm -hmm. it turns out he's not an Andalite, right? He can't put aside the destruction of the innocents Uh in order to go with the strategy. And then the last time is... He says I knew what Visser 1 was ruthless. Ooh. Yeah. And so it's it's Visser 1 is able to do that, right? Yeah. To destroy the innocence in the in pursuit of her goals and, and Marco isn't able to do that.
0: That's so interesting. I don't I think maybe that's an unfair characterization of Andalites. Oh, it took, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. it's not like they are always ruthless either. But yeah, that is funny that they, it gets applied three times to the three like three of the species that are play here.
1: Yeah, I like
0: that. I kind of want to talk about Marco and Jake and Marco and Rachel. So they had really interesting yeah. uh, interactions in this. Well, who
1: should we start with first?
0: So Marco and Jake have a lot, like don't interact a lot in this book, but the interactions but they, they have are fascinating. Like that thing at the end yeah. when Jake is the one who keeps him from killing his mother not to spare his mother, but just to keep Marco from doing it. And then we should also talk about, I'm pretty sure Cassie is the one who causes her to fall. Yeah. Which we'll talk about. But Jake ends up, he has, like, Marco pinned and is just keeps saying, hang on, Marco, hang on, man. And Marco's like, it's not my problem anymore. Nothing was my problem. All I had to do was listen to the voice in my head saying, hold on, Marco, hold on, man, hold on. It's its such a great and, like, powerful thing For Jake to be able to do for him, like, just give him this solidity and, like, take all of this off of his shoulders Mm -hmm. that Marco's been trying to carry. And that's why Jake hasn't been in the story as much, because Marco's been trying to, like, carry everything himself. Right. Before that, we get other, like, Jake pulls Marco aside and... I love that
1: scene. (laughs) So this is before the recon mission. Yeah.
0: He pulls Marco aside. He's like, Jake has changed a lot in the months we've been fighting this little war. The look he gave me did not come from my boy Jake, my bud, my pal. It came from a battle commander. And then Jake's like, you're my best friend, but if you ever go off like that again, you and I will have serious problems. In the old days, I'd have said, bite me or something equally brilliant. Now I said, okay, understood. It was all I could do to stop myself from saying, yes, sir.
1: Uh, It's amazing. (laughs) Because like... (laughs) I mean, the last Visser 1 book in 15, Marco has this whole thing with Jake where he's like, we're still friends. We're going to be friends afterwards, yeah. right? Like, we're just friends. Yeah. And it's been twice as long again in the series, and he realizes that is not the case. It's amazing. But they
0: still are able to have this thing at the end where Jake's able to really be there for him when it counts. Even if not in maybe the, like, chill, we're buddies ways, it would have happened at the, mm-hmm. at well, the beginning.
1: Well, I, 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 I think it is true. It is important that it's, it's Jake, but... I also think that they always knew in the plan that Marco couldn't be the one. Mm-hmm. They, they, they had already made a decision that Marco would not have to be the one to kill.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, Visser 1.
1: Right. Jake was going to do that. So mm-hmm. it's not just like this spur of the moment, Jake's going to save Marco thing. It's like mm-hmm. Jake is showing up to do what he promised he would do also. Right. Like,
0: it's funny that Jake is the one who is going to do that. Right. That's an interesting part of the plan. Like, it feels like something Rachel would want to take on herself. But maybe when it comes to Marco, like, Jake feels like that's his role.
1: I think it is. Yeah. 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 But then
0: he
3: doesn't actually do it. Right. As you said, Cassie does. Right. Right. Because right.
1: there's no time. Jake has to hold
3: right, Marco the, down. Yeah, the plan doesn't go.
1: Well.
3: Yeah. Um, really fast. The, the thing that you just read um, with Jake and Marco getting into those roles, right? The battle commander and his mm-hmm. lieutenant. <laughs> just before that is the scene in which Jake sends Marco Axe and Tobias on the recon mission, mm-hmm, right? And he says, if it comes to a judgment call, Tobias makes the call. Yeah. And Marco's like, what? <laughs> and then he says, there's no point in arguing. In Jake's place, I'd have done the same thing. Yeah. And which like such a good, it's so, it such an interesting um, insight into mm-hmm. how Jake thinks about both Tobias and Marco. But he also then pulls Marco aside. and <laughs> Marco says, I cringed. I knew it was coming. And Jake says... I noticed a certain lack of details about what happened today, which tells me you did things that I probably don't want to hear about. He's such a dad. <laughs> such he's a dad. He's the group parent. dad. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh
1: man. I don't want to disappoint Jake.
3: I know. <laughs> he's gonna be disappointed. And he's not gonna be even mad. He's gonna be he's disappointed. He's gonna be disappointed. And he's gonna tell you that not to do it again. Well,
1: okay, so sad. What do you think about the whole bit after the recon mission when Marco is in intentionally avoiding the Jake confrontation. Yes. Like, he puts it off mm. as long as possible. He never... I don't think he ever directly says why. So, like, what's your read on what's going on there?
0: I don't know. I wonder if he doesn't want to disappoint Jake in a different way. Like, he doesn't want to have to see his own ruthlessness through Jake's eyes. Like, he doesn't want to have to confront it that way, maybe? Oh,
1: so the thing That's that... That's my guess. So, what ends up happening is what he didn't want to happen,
0: Well, right? so... Like, no, no. I think he doesn't want Jake to see him being so ruthless, And so that's why he's practicing all these conversations of like how to justify it, how to make it seem okay. And then when he actually sees Jake, like we actually tells Jake the plan. Okay, Jake said, that was it. Just okay. He didn't come out with any of the lines I'd put in his mouth in my imaginary conversations. And then, you know, there's the other, I think in the same chapter you know Jake it's just a the briefest flicker of sadness Jake too is addicted to the bright clear line and i think that actually makes it more okay for him like he was afraid of Jake seeing how ruthless he was and judging yeah. him and i think what he actually sees is like oh Jake is there too like Jake has gotten to this point
1: Interesting i so i think i think that's right i was also wondering if it's like he was putting his qualms about it into Jake's voice,
2: mm, mm-hmm.
1: and then it's it could be disappointing that he doesn't have that conversation. I think it's both where he has to yeah. he has to convince himself that it's okay, right. right? Like Jake, Jake is also, as you said, already there.
3: Interesting. I, I like both of those interpretations very much, and I think they are much fairer than what I had. Thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm, I had canon accepted. I think you guys are right. <laughs> what I had thought was Jake's going to talk him out of it, and he doesn't want Jake to. He doesn't want Jake to talk him out of it. He wants to just do the to, – to be doing something. So yeah, I think have that's the a actions. piece of it too. Um, yeah. Because he has this whole bit about – like at the end – um Access well, we've got to tell Jake, right? We have to go Mm -hmm. tell him what happened. This is a recon mission. We kind of went off the rails, but we we've got to go. We have this plan. We have to go get approval. And Mark is like, No, we don't have to do that. (laughs) It's the middle of the night. Tom, we do have to wake up Cassie though. So we'll just we just won't do that. We'll Mm -hmm. we'll talk tomorrow. And I was like, Okay, but. Maybe (laughs) like you're gonna have to tell him eventually. he's gonna. No, I think
0: that that's a piece of it too.
1: Yeah, it's he's like really insistent that he acquires the goat that evening. But like, is that just so that tomorrow that like.
0: There's no delay. He's the
1: one who has the morph, so he has to do that part of the plan. It's it's weird, like
0: because also acts it
1: doesn't like totally hold together. I
3: just have the yeah. morph too, and also why did you have to wake Cassie up to tell you that if you're going
0: on <laughs> mountain a mountain, goat. a mountain goat might be useful? Like, <laughs> no one knows on. that. No one's ever heard of any animals except for Cassie. Very confusing. <laughs> okay, I do want to go back to the just a brief note about how clear it is in this book, despite the fact that Marco and Jake's relationship is changing so much, that Jake is still one of the most important people to Marco. Yeah. I really, really liked the thing in his, in Marco's whole bit about the bright, clear line where he's thinking, okay, but I have to do this. Like he's justifying it. It's like, I, it was for her. I killed you for her, for Jake, for my dad. Mm. Those are his three, like Mm -hmm. his mom, his dad and Jake. And I also really got a kick out of, on a much lighter note, Jake's first appearance in the book when Marco makes it back to school and uh, Marco sees Jake in the hallway. I dropped my math book. He picked it up. Jake, you really do care. <laughs> I love like it's, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke. And <laughs> then,
1: But then also when uh, Chapman accosts Marco, Jake is like, I'm not, you're not my problem, dude. <laughs> like, very normal.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, anyway, I love that. Very cute.
1: So, uh, should we talk about Rachel now?
0: Sure. Uh,
1: the Marco and Rachel dynamic in this book is so amazing.
0: It's really fascinating. She's
1: also so important to him, and he's like he. But he, at a
0: distance. But well,
1: at a distance, but also he can't quite. I don't think he quite like understands it. Yeah, I'm not sure she understands it either. But it's like no. so clear that they need each other. To be like antagonist antagonist, yeah. antagonist in the group. They and can't lose each other. Figured
0: out how to balance this antagonism. Yeah. Like you have yeah. the the thing where Marco's presented the plan and Rachel isn't saying anything. She's looking down and Marco says, Rachel's not stupid. She knew anything she said would just make me mad. And I guess she like all of them was putting herself in my shoes, wondering if she could do it. And yeah, she there's this sense of rachel sort of at a distance from marco having a lot of thoughts about it about Mm -hmm. him and about the situation and marco's sort of aware of that and they aren't interacting directly about it a lot until the end but they're sort of yet balanced on two sides of the group yeah yeah
1: so was there anything before the like mountaintop scene at the end that was an interesting rachel marco moment
0: I did like, this is not a very significant moment, but Marco has just gotten back to school and wants to tell everyone that this Watt is alive. Oh,
1: thank you. For, I want to <laughs> yes. speculate about this.
0: I saw Rachel giving me the fisheye from across the room. They're in like the cafeteria or something. I mouthed that one word, alive. Evidently, Rachel doesn't read lips. She misunderstood what I'd said and responded by mouthing two words I won't repeat. What did she think he mouthed? No, her? like it's clear what she mouthed. Yeah, like
3: <laughs> that part I got.
1: Maybe what? like I love you. Yeah, or something that's, like that.
3: why would he? Why would he be mouthing that across the cafeteria? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just to, to push her buttons, and that's why she's like, "Hey, man."
1: Or like love you.
0: <laughs> or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> possibly she couldn't tell, and she just assumed that Marco was saying something oh, rude yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. Marco. And he, she's I like, like that better. What, I like what that is better. he even yeah. saying? Yeah. That's probably true. Anyway, yeah, there are a bunch of moments later like they're they're in the, the like the footwell of of Visser One's car as cockroaches and and Rachel's like, "Man, did your mom always drive like this?" and he's like, "What? No." And then he's like, "Maybe so. No need to start a fight with Rachel. Maybe well, this is the way she used to drive."
1: Well, yeah, I also like he thinks no, Visser One's driving wait, no, This 1's using how my mom drives. Like, there's no way that Yurk knows how to drive. So this is actually my mom's driving skills. Oh, man.
0: All right. And he remembers, like, yeah, no, my mom always drove like this. It drove my dad nuts. <laughs> then Rachel says to her, yeah, now I know where you get your driving skills. And then he characterizes that as Rachel being nice. <laughs> Which is kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed to myself when Rachel started being nice. and meant things were really bad. It's so funny that... Her making fun of both Marco's and his mom's driving is her form of being nice. Mm-hmm. And then he recognizes that and is like, yep, that's yeah. that's her trying to uh, make me feel better.
1: So there's this bit when Marco shows up at the rendezvous with Rachel and Tobias um, in hork Morph. And he has to explain that Cassie and Jake just exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get his description of... Uh, how Rachel and Tobias react to
0: yes. tragedy.
1: Right. And so like Rachel is like on a, you know, a hair trigger, like ready to lash out. And mm-hmm. Tobias is like withdrawing from his human side is how, how Marco puts it. And. Okay.
0: But did this remind you of anything? It reminded me of the thing in book 21, where they're all flying back from where David like had his encounter with Visser three. And Jake's like, I knew my friends. I knew how each of them would react. And then he reaches out to them and keeps them from doing that reaction and, like, keeps control of oh, the situation. Oh, that's so true. And here, Marco's like, I know Rachel. I know she wanted action, etc. I know Tobias. I knew that in the fate, you know, he would retreat from his human side. He knows them, too. And he's like, and what could I say to them? What could I say to lead them or control them? Nothing. Because I know myself, too. Mm-hmm. And he says, I had nothing to say to Rachel or Tobias. They would do or not do whatever they chose. And this is why Jake is such a good leader and why Marco is not a natural fit for that role. He can see the problems because he's very smart. He's very good at like yeah. analyzing people, but he it's just not in his skill set to be able to say the right thing yeah, to like bring so them back to the place they need to be yeah
1: I, I, I mean this isn't really in the text but i wonder if it's like knowing the right thing to say is also different than meaning it right like yeah maybe just, it's like so it'd be so transparent that he's like trying to be nice and it's yeah. so out of character for him mm-hmm. he's he doesn't have he's that a ruthless
0: strategist but he's not a manipulator at all yeah and jake is jake knows how to deal with people and it's like that mix of like he is actually sincere about it with right. like, like, being able to see it. And also Cassie. And you see that here. Like They're like, okay, at this point, we needed Visser 1 to start thinking of us as her allies. Cassie was the person to put yeah. it in like the speaking role yeah. for that. And Marco just doesn't have that at all.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Should we keep following Rachel?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, Rachel avenges to keep it together when Visser 1 shows up, right? Mm-hmm. Marco's like, I was kind of expecting her just to kill Visser 1. But the fact <laughs> that she, you know, didn't, like... Freak out when Viser One drew a weapon, meant that she was going to keep her cool. (laughs) Um, But later on, when they are start to climb the mountain, Rachel finally snaps at him. And Uh she's like, Marco, this is a, face it, it's a fiasco. Why are we bringing this woman up the mountain? We could just shove her off the trail (laughs) right now. Marco's like, shut up, Rachel. And then Rachel says, oh yeah, you're calm and in control. Rachel taunted. Jake's gone. Cassie's gone. And the person running this mission is working on setting up his own mother. This is a waste of time. Marco, just fly off somewhere. Just get out of range so you don't have to see what I'm... Ooh. And then Tobias (laughs) cuts her off. Rachel, that's enough. (laughs) Um, Which is a really interesting Rachel and Tobias Yeah,
0: there's so many things in here (laughs) Um, that are worth talking about. Yeah. This is, like, why Rachel was hanging back at that other scene where Marco speculates she knew anything that she said would just piss him off. Like, it's because that is sort of the... Their dynamic is very volatile, And this is the point where it sort of boils over, as Mm -hmm. you know, they both pretty much knew it would. Without this clue of Jake and Cassie, like the worst, like two people to be gone.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's a good point because we've talked before about what happens when various ones of them are not around. Mm -hmm. Like what happens when Axe was out of commission? Yeah, and then you know they kind of they couldn't count. They couldn't count, for example. And this is a really interesting example of what happens
0: when Jake and Cassie are out of commission they're i mean i just said that like they're the people who are good at i mean manipulating people is a harsh way to say it but like bringing people around to different actions and points of yeah. view and yeah and
1: like rachel sees i think in this moment rachel is also responding to like so Marco's going to be the one who's, like, mm-hmm. setting up his own mm-hmm. mother. And she's like, that wasn't what we agreed to. You're yeah. not going to be able to. She knows he can't take it. And uh-huh. her solution is, why don't I just kill her now? Yes. Right? <laughs> Which is, like, so Rachel. It's
0: very Rachel. Also she,
1: not, like, actually a good solution. She does but, not
0: see a bright, clear line. <laughs> right.
1: But she's like, I will take this horrible pain onto myself, yeah. even if this is not a good thing. Like, she's trying right. to protect him. Yes. yeah. the only she's way she being, knows how.
0: She's being harsh and lashing out, but she is doing it the way that she's doing that is saying, like, all right, I'm going to take this off of you. And then the Rachel Tobias thing.
3: Yeah, Tobias has, despite the fact that he is part of many of these plans, mm-hmm. doesn't really have a lot of things. But all of them are really interesting. So uh-huh. I love this one because so Tobias cuts Rachel off. And Marco says, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Marco says, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Tobias never messes with Rachel. I think Rachel was shocked, too. Marco has enough load on his shoulders, Tobias said. I trust him. Rachel's like, you trust him? You trust him? <laughs> um, but he was it's like an interesting Rachel-Tobias. Well,
1: so it's interesting. Said. We were just saying no one has these skills. Tobias has these skills. Mm. If only he wasn't trapped as a bird the whole time. Secret leader Tobias. Yeah, does it, it matter
0: been, that he's trapped as been. a
1: bird? <laughs> well, because it causes him his yeah. own axe, which he can never escape from.
0: Which, But so. I do feel like, yeah, Tobias is like... So, like sometimes he try, he like steps forward and like does something leaderly but he's very like ambivalent about it. like He kind of steps in and out. But to continue talking about Rachel.
1: After this moment, and I this is maybe also a Rachel and Tobias thing, as they are Marco goes and finds Axe and then he sees Visser 3 morph into a crab monster but then he, as he's swooping around by Rachel and Tobias and Visser 1, Rachel reaches out and says good luck. Mm. Um, so my headcanon here is that Tobias has like, (laughs) they've been having a conversation about it. And like through that conversation, Rachel has realized that she needs to like do something very non-Rachel and reach out and try and like, (laughs) Tobias is like, what Mark is doing is going to be very hard on him, but we should keep going with the plan. And then (laughs) Rachel's like, good luck, man. And then you get that maternal moment later on where she's like the voice in his head.
0: Mm hmm. I do love the idea of Tobias, like, helping Rachel to be her best self. Mm. (laughs) Yes. It's very nice. I also really loved uh, Rachel
3: and Marco at the very end. Yes. So Marco's been sitting in his room watching TV for a week um, because he just is so upset about everything that happened. And finally, Rachel comes to visit him. And uh, I love this. She, She sits in his chair and puts her feet up on his desk. Mm-hmm. Just like, the, like lean back, power move. Oh, just, yeah. Like, kind of casually. Such a I future executive. So I know. She <laughs> really is. She just kind of leans back and says, there's no body, she announced. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking
0: about? She says, I looked. There's no body. I love that they have her doing this. Like, like, she did it in 15 also because she is maybe after, like, acts. But, like, she is the person least likely to make this up. Yeah. Like she's sort of the like blunt, no nonsense person. And so we can trust her when she says stuff like, hey, I hear a sub moving away. Mm -hmm. Whereas if like Cassie said it, you'd be like, thanks, Cassie. That's real sweet. Yeah. And
1: do you think Rachel knows that she's that person?
0: Yeah. Maybe she says it here.
1: It is true that they want us, the readers, to believe this, right? Mm -hmm. But I also think that within the context of the story, I think Rachel knows that. The only reason Marco is in this fight is the hope that he can save his mother one day.
2: Oh, So she, I think,
1: I think she has to give this back to him mm-hmm. for him to go back to being who he was.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: And so like, there's a little bit of like a narrative thing where, cause it's like, okay, there's no body. Yeah, it's a military yeah, yeah. book. You assume, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think that to some degree, Rachel must be aware that without this hope, Marco uh-huh. cannot go on.
0: I think that's true. And I think another reason, narratively, why we see her do it, it's not just because we'll believe it from her, but it's also because it's the most significant that she is taking this step of telling this to him. Like, if Rachel is willing to, like, extend some sympathy to Marco in this way and, like, recognize that he needs this to go on, like, wow, he must really need it and everyone must really see it.
3: Yeah, it's also interesting that she recognizes... So he he might need that to go on, but it's also going to make it a lot more difficult for him in the future. Mm. So she says, I'm telling you what I saw. I wouldn't lie. And he's like, yeah, of course you would. Pity, charity, make Marco feel better. She says, no, because it wouldn't make you feel better. It wouldn't be pity or charity. I wouldn't be doing you a favor. Mm. You've cried and yelled and hated yourself. It's bad. But if she's dead, at least it would be over. If she's alive, dot, dot, dot. She recognizes that.
1: Maybe I overstated it. Mm. To keep him in the fight. <laughs> right? yeah. That's also not good for him, <laughs> right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I know I think you're that, right.
1: I think both things are true. That's and like, and that's like a the because and the and the thing that they right at the end he's he actually is vulnerable with her and is like mm-hmm. like what would you do? it's
0: your mom or dad or sister right?
1: And she's like, well, I guess I hope I wouldn't have to make the choice, right? Which is what yeah. happens to Marco. And then Marco says. What if she isn't dead? What if she really did survive? Oh, God, what if there's a next time?
0: Oh, this poor kid.
1: Right. And then Rachel comes back. She doesn't hug him, but she sits with him and says, one battle at a time, Marco. Which is, like, reassuring, but also is, like, it's like really <laughs> bleak in, like, the child soldier's way. right? Yeah. It's like, don't think about it. Watch TV.
0: Yeah, yeah, not much of an answer, but the only answer I had is, like, so representative of this series. Uh, and uh, it's one of the things I love about this series. I'm definitely coming more around on this book as we talk about it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, there's so many good things in it. Why did, 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 did I not have a good impression of it? I don't know.
1: I have a theory about why you didn't like it, but we'll get there later. Okay.
0: Can we talk about Cassie a little bit? Just Ooh, we Lex. were We were talking about how Rachel has this role of, you know, if there's something that might be seen as, like, sympathy rather than truth, it's good to put it in Rachel's mouth. If there's a completely horrendous moral action that has to be taken for the good of the group, they tend to give it to Cassie. I feel like we could have talked about this more in Megamorphs 3. The thing at the end where she is the one who sees that the solution is to delete John Berryman's entire existence by having his parents not meet. And she's the one who just goes ahead and does that. And we see her doing something very similar here where there's this like terrible action. Like Marco is setting up his mom to be killed and Jake comes back and keeps him from, you know, taking the action himself. And then Cassie, I don't think it's specified. It's like there was a bird mm-hmm. everyone else is sort of accounted for. So we have to assume so it, was it was Cassie, Cassie, yeah. yeah. Who flies at, um, viscer one's face and causes her to fall off the cliff it's like a little halfway disney falling death like she doesn't push her over the cliff but she sets her up to have that happen
2: <laughs> and which
0: actually is interestingly similar to the thing in magmorphs 3 it's like cassie doesn't take a violent action herself but she sets up things so that this well, happens
1: yeah i i really do think other than the david thing they almost always get Like Disney villain falling death Mm -hmm. out of their Mm -hmm. worst choices, right?
0: But this is like this is this and Megamorphs three. It's both like only halfway there. Like they decide to do the thing in Megamorphs three, and then they sort of Mm -hmm. it sort of happens without them quite intending it. And then here it's like Cassie flies at her face, knocks her off balance, she falls. Like that was pretty. And this is
1: and like and there are more costs, right? Marco d- underestimates the degree to which Visser Three will declare total war. Mm-hmm. Like when Visser Three shows up with his limo, he blows up a car and then kills a forest ranger. Yeah. Like right away. And so like before the plans Almost even started, there's innocent blood in his yeah. hands. And then in order to get away, the the what they achieve here is they kill Visser one, or wait, maybe they don't. Yeah. And five free Horpageer die. And that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, well
0: they also th- they also lead Visser Three to think they've destroyed the free Horkbagir Valley, right?
1: Oh, that's true. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Marco doesn't necessarily celebrate that, but I guess that is true. I
0: mean, I don't know. Like, does viscer 3 figure out like, but oh wait, that was a hologram. Or is It's he not just like they're going like, to
1: stop stealing Horkbagir.
0: That's true. That's true. Interesting.
1: That'll be interesting to track going yeah. forward. Yeah. But anyway, I was just saying, certainly the consequences are more numerous than maybe they once were back in like, Book 14 (laughs) with it running through the amusement park. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, that was Um, ridiculous anyway. But yeah, Cassie is the one to do this thing. And I think, Ted, you said something about how Cassie is. They give it to Cassie to show that it's okay, sort of. Mm -hmm. If Cassie thinks it's necessary, then that means that it really is. Right. Because Cassie's also the one who, the only one who objects when Marco's like, here's my plan. And he expects Jake to object. Jake doesn't object. Jake's just like, okay. And Cassie says, are we just going to let him do this? Like, she's your mother. She's not Visser One. She's your mother. Is everyone just going to let this happen? Jake sends her a cold look. This is not the time, Cassie. When is it going to be the time when Marco's mind is screwed up forever by this? He's in denial. This is his mother, for God's sake. And then Jake says nothing and then says go on Marco. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting interesting <laughs> lens into their dynamic. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I mean, she's she's right. Like yeah. they do eventually come up with a plan that spares Marco from this. And in yeah, the end, no, so so Jake is well, but the plan goes badly. But like yes. Jake was supposed to be the one who does yes. it, right? And yes. so then at the end, I don't necessarily think that Jake and Cassie were like, okay, I'll restrain Marco while you kill Mister One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suspect it was just more that's how it happened. When Jake got to the top, he's like, I have to stop Marco from doing this. Mm -hmm. And Cassie was like, I have to stop Visser One from shooting them.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think Cassie meant to knock Visser One over the edge? I don't know.
1: This is a, I think, a reverse Karen situation.
0: (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Because
1: Marco shows up with Cassie and is like, Look, we have to kill Karen. Right. And like, Cassie won't Mm -hmm. let that happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas this is kind of the reverse situation where. Cassie's the one who shows up and is like, all right, I'll just kill Visser One, (laughs) you know, and spare you. And Mark is like, fine, fine. Okay. Right. I think the easiest way to read it is that it was a battle. Cassie's killed in battle before. Mm -hmm. And her objective was to stop Visser at at Mm -hmm. all costs, which I don't necessarily think that she was like, you know, if she had just attacked her so that she dropped the gun, she probably wouldn't then have tried to flap her off the side of the cliff.
3: Mm, I really think that that was not her intention. She didn't mean to kill her? I really think she didn't mean to kill her because the way that it's described is, so Visser One is aiming the Drakon beam at uh, Marco and Jake, and Cassie slashes at her face. Mm -hmm. And so Visser One grabs at her face and steps back, Mm -hmm. teeters on the edge, and then falls over. Yeah. So I don't think it's that Cassie like came and like flapped at her to make her move uh-huh, backwards. Uh-huh. I think it was you know protect Jake and Marco. Yeah. And then oops, she kind of stepped backwards instead of forwards and fell off the cliff. Because we have talked before
0: about how Cassie, like we were speculating in twenty nine, like if she had the choice between like Axe is going to die right now if you don't do the brain surgery, or you can go to the yurt Save Aftran and prevent all your friends from being captured, she probably would have stayed and saved Mm Axe.
1: She does that.
0: We see it here, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was so cool to see that one book later because. Yes! Mm -hmm. So when the the car blows up, right, um, they spotted the limo with enough time to go back to Cockroach Morph, but Cassie's in the stream, she roaches fine. Jake is halfway through and is burned and knocked unconscious. And Cassie, even though there is a mission going on, where if Visor One survives, the animorphs will be completely wiped out because she knows that right. some of them they are humans, know right? That. Like yep. it's now an existential level threat to the mm-hmm. Animorphs, the mission, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no getting out of it. She waits with Jake and makes sure that he can safely demorph
2: right. uh,
1: before yeah. returning to the mission, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's unconscious the whole time, so it's not like he can be like Cassie, go, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. let me bleed out or whatever, right? Like, yeah. and so she makes that exact choice, which is yep. there is a person in need here. I have to prioritize them. Also, it's my sweetie. But, oh, yes.
0: But I um, think she would have done it for any of them. Right. And I think, like we talked about, Marco sees the bright clear line. I don't think Rachel sees it. Jake sees it. It's clearly very hard on him. I I think Cassie, Cassie has a good logistics brain. She probably is able to see things like that, but... You know, she doesn't keep her eyes at the end of the line. She well, like also like she's not willing to skip over the things on the way.
1: I think that is true, but she also articulates very clearly: if Marco has to kill his own mother, we will lose him. Mm-hmm. Right. So, to some extent, that's also a mm. clear, bright line argument. Yeah. It's just yeah. about it's just about Marco's different
0: values. Yeah.
1: Emotional stability and and mm-hmm. you know it's like. She doesn't – I'm sure she doesn't think about it transactionally, but mm-hmm. she's kind of saying, okay, we can kill the Vissers and lose Marco. Not a good yeah. deal, yeah. right? Yeah. So –
3: Well, and there's also a place where they're negotiating with Visser 1, mm-hmm. and Cassie's the one speaking with her. Mm-hmm. And Marco goes to, to tell her what to say. And she, he says, she was already there ahead of me. Mm. And she was Oh,
2: yeah. Right. Because so she's I, so yeah. good. She
3: really does understand. And it may not be the sort of same clear... As you were saying earlier. Right, she yeah. sees all of these other options and everything. opportunities yeah. and cares about them all very deeply. But I do think that when they've decided on a plan, Cassie is right there yeah. in terms of how to... So,
1: I do love her... I felt like this is very in character. They all do... It's, it's actually really cool. They all at one point or another, have to pretend to be Andalites or Hork-Bajir
0: I in that. front of
1: Visser 1. But then they're so good Cassie's at But then Cassie's the one who's doing the, like, oh, maybe we're your friends now. And that's the moment when Visser 1 puts together that some of them are human. Mm. Because it's basically like they're talking about how they're humans offering are up... easy to kill. Yeah, they're offering up the hork humans are easy to kill or whatever. And then something clicks for Visser 1 where she's like you know, I, I had been wondering... Well, she's like, I've known something is weird about you Andelite bandits uh-huh. since like the events of Book 15. She's 15.
0: much smarter than Vizzer 3. Right.
1: And then she's like, you know, I've been wondering why reports from Earth there are a lot of Hork-Bajir attacks and casualties. I don't remember ever seeing a human casualty. Uh-huh. And then Cassie fails to improvise something because uh-huh. like, this is what Cassie cannot do. Mm. In a very different circumstance, I'm thinking of when Eric is stuck... In the store, in the mall, and she like has to like <laughs> be in front of people, being yeah. like
0: it's a sales She's display. She's not an actress, right? Yeah. She's
1: not an improviser. <laughs> she can't really think on her feet. She can play a role, and in like she can solve a manipulation problem, mm-hmm. right? But then she gets stuck, mm-hmm. and then they can't. They're like, Ew, "What do we say?" And Rachel's like, "Say something!" Yeah. And then Mister One's like, "Well, well, well," <laughs> right? And it's, it's finally clicked that mm-hmm. some of them were human.
0: I think in some ways, Cassie is more realistic than Marco. Cassie doesn't think that it is a virtue to strip emotion from morality. And she recognizes that in fact humans cannot do this. Like Marco spends this whole book being like, I can just see the bright, clear light. I'm not gonna think about how it's my mother I'm killing, and then at the end he's like, Oh crap, it's my mother, I can't handle this. And Cassie would have seen that coming. Mm -hmm. Like she I just
1: there are too many instances to call them all out, but One of the things that I love about the way this book is written is how many different ways and different instances there are of him saying, well, my mother, no, I mean Visser Mm One, or like, mm -hmm. and then Visser One, or, you know, but actually my mother, or like, depending on how he's feeling about it, or what he's doing with that detachedness, right? The way that he has to keep challenging himself. And even when like Visser One starts to figure stuff out, he's like, I was proud of her because it was yeah. like my yes, mom My mom was figuring yeah. something out. But like maybe Visser 1 was, or maybe my mom, you know, like <laughs> it's amazing. You
0: know, this is sort of a side note, but on the like figuring out, like it's so dumb that Visser 3 has never figured it out and Visser 3 is dumb. So that's fair. But I I do think probably a component of it is that Visser One has a human host and has some respect for humans. And Visser Three, his whole thing is that he has an Andalite body and that's what makes him better. And so he couldn't possibly imagine that there are humans who've been outsmarting him. Like, at least they have to be Andalites, which, like, that makes it a little more okay that they've been sabotaging him. also,
1: Alarino also would not think anything of humans. Right, exactly.
3: Whereas
0: Marco's mom, like, you know, she seems like she's a really smart lady. Well,
3: I also think it's something about, you know, Aloran seems to be a very straightforward kind of person, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, there's a little bit of strategy in some of his plans, but they're all very dumb plans. Like, even before he's viscer 3, his plans are not good. Whereas... Marco gets his strategy from somewhere, mm-hmm. and I think there's some extent to which the visors are taking advantage
0: of the knowledge and skills of their human controllers. Marco gets his strategy from somewhere. That's really interesting. So I
3: think that she's good at this. Stuff yeah, and that he also gets h-
0: his driving from somewhere.
3: Oh, exactly. Some of her like human deviousness is yeah. allowing Visser one to be better at this. I
1: also I absolutely love the one moment we get of Marco's mom. There, so the circumstances of Visser One's secret office in this building mm-hmm. there's a jerk pool jacuzzi there's a portable kendrona yeah. a one time use portable kendrona which is so cool <laughs> and all the surveillance equipment and stuff but the way that Visser One acting as a complete like solo operative is able to feed in the jerk pool is by basically locking Marco's mom's head in like a vice grip and like yeah. chaining her to the jerk pool or whatever okay. and so it's so tragic that Marco is like there in this room with his mom who is free, but her head yeah. is pointing the other way and he can't go talk to her because she's about to be reinfested by Viscer One. Mm-hmm. But then as Viscer One starts crawling back into her head, she just like says under her breath, rotten hell.
0: Yeah. Which it's, it's amazing. I was impressed with them for finding a like, sufficiently, like...
1: Middle grade appropriate. Middle
0: grade appropriate, but mm-hmm. still, like, really harsh phrase for that.
1: Yeah. And related to this, in a way that I need to, like, think about more, I just... I love Visser-1 so much. She's mm-hmm. such a good villain. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. She's she's really cool. She's really resourceful. She's way smarter than any of the other villains that the Animorphs mm-hmm. face. Yeah. And I love the degree to which she is willing to... She, she kind of is like that... I'm going to play all the sides off of each other mastermind and come mm-hmm. out on top, like, character. Yeah. Which there isn't really in the Animorphs to date.
0: I mean, Marco's also trying to do that. Like, right. He's, yeah.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, and not- so I guess she won the encounter in Book 5 and has lost dramatically in Book yeah. 15 and 30. Yeah. But there are, like, so many instances, like, when she gets attacked in her office, she's, like, jumping around and shooting things. And the whole idea that she's basically, like... Okay, so I have been demoted to sub-Visser because Visser 3 thinks I'm a traitor, which, mm-hmm. fair, but he's totally incompetent, and I have this plan to, like, blow the whole thing wide open. I'm going to prove his incompetence, get my yeah. rank back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it all myself, and yeah. I'm going to do it in six days, right?
0: And she somehow, despite having been demoted to sub shows up with the coolest ship that like Visser Three has ever seen. Empire Ship.
1: (laughs) Yes. Nova
0: class Empire Ship. Visur Three gasped. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm just going to read the description. Huge, larger than visa 3's blade ship. It had eight pods arranged around a central cylindrical core, four massive engines bunched at the rear, blazing blue fire. Like, this is just, like, the coolest ship that's shown up so far. Somehow mm-hmm. she ended up with it, even though she's been, like, yeah. discredited. And divided. even
1: the, like, rhetoric in that scene, she's like, to Viscera 3, she's like, I'm going to show them your incompetence. And he's like, you traitor! Right, like, they care about <laughs> yeah. such different things. Like, she's like, yeah, I'll wheel and deal with the Andalite Band Bandits slash human bandits. <laughs> if yeah. I can be Mister One again, right? Like whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's all good.
0: Well, I liked how she was like, "I've been recording this all, and I'll set it off." He's like, "Well, well, I'm also recording this, and <laughs> I'll set it off."
1: <laughs> not true, by the way. Mister Three was not recording that. No, I think
0: Three he... never records anything because he would show up as being incompetent. He's got to be able to do also it if one. he had
1: any surveillance technology, he would he would know that they were. Oh, humans, yeah, it's true. So yeah. yeah. He hasn't figured out Megamorph
0: surveillance. 1. Yeah. Okay, so logistics question though. I feel like Marco should have been able to figure something out with that yerk pool. What if he like snuck up on her and covered her ear? Yeah. Couldn't he have kept the yerk from infesting her and then like hold his hand over the ear while Axe slices open the collar with his incredibly powerful tail? Right, right. That's a good point.
1: I think so. It would have been really sad when that attack crew came in and um, killed her
3: shortly afterward, though. Right in
0: front of them. Yeah, well, they could have brought her out with them, maybe, somehow. She might still know how to use a dracon beam. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's probably pretty That's tough. True. And she probably knows how the Yurk would have escaped.
1: No, no, no. Axe explains it. He has some totally BS explanation for why Marco can. Okay,
0: this is what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or 1 will be back in your mother's head the second she senses any danger, and you could not open those locks with force. They are no doubt controlled by a brainwave interface. So that the yurt can maintain control even outside your mother's body. So I love this as an explanation of like how a solo yurt could feed. But I still think if Marco sneaks up on her, gets a hand around her ear, which will take approximately a tenth of a second. And then Axe can figure out with his very powerful tail how to deal with the collar. Like the ear can't go through the hand; it's just a slug. Well, Actually, right. <laughs> he covers the ear and then he takes the slug no, but and he pushes so it.
1: Then the tragic scene you want is Marco's got his hand over his ear, and they're like confessing their feelings to each other. And then the shock troops come in, and Tobias and Ax are like, "We got to get out of here!" And Marco's like, "No!" And then they both get <laughs> obliterated, and Ax and Tobias run away. Right? Like,
2: oh man, how, that's
0: are gonna, how are they going to how are they going to
1: cut them free so quickly? Right. Then They could have if this book had wanted to do that because yeah, this is no
0: great science totally fiction. Yeah, they totally have.
1: But, you know.
0: They squish Viscer1, <laughs> then they figure out how to deal with the color. Yeah, it's
1: like, I'm going to squish you unless you open this thing with your brainwaves.
0: Actually, yes, that's the way to do it.
1: <clears throat> yeah. When they are picking a quote unquote secure screen name to email Visser one <laughs> what do you think they chose?
0: <laughs> I am not a human. I was andalite thinking... Andalite one. Oh,
1: <laughs> too alien, too humble.
0: <laughs> they wouldn't have had that reference yet. <laughs> when was Too Fast, Too Furious? That's like 2000s, oh, right? Yeah, that's
1: way too late. Yeah. Uh, in the 2011 release
0: Not an arrogant Andalite. More few. <laughs>
1: um, I just want to say... When they act as like talking about this, you know, Andalites or humble grazers or whatever, I put in my notes humility from an Andalite, <laughs> referencing what the <laughs> Elmist says in book seven. Uh-huh. And then Viscer One said it later in the book. And I was like,
0: yes, this is the best callback. <laughs> Wait, she said the same thing? She says
1: humility from an Andalite. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed
0: that. That's amazing. Here,
1: I'll find it,
3: I'll in, find uh, it. in chapter 19. Oh, oh so good. <laughs> Um, when she's talking to Cassie. So it's, uh,
1: oh, yeah. I- <laughs> Visser-1 is like, I can deal with Visser-3.
3: Can you? We have tried many times, and yet he still lives.
1: Humility from an Andalite.
0: <laughs> Realism from an Andalite, Cassie's in. That's brilliant. I can't believe I missed that. I love it.
1: Okay, I just want to say a few more things about why Visser-1 is so cool. So there's Go like, more. at the end of the that first scene with her... Uh, when she says, they're like, okay, we've agreed to this wild plan. And they're like, how can we get in touch with you? She's like, I have email.
2: <laughs>
1: Which is so 90s. So I love it. But then, you know, uh, she narrowed her eyes and looked at us, each one after the other. Um, you know, one of you does almost all the talking, Mr. Three is a fool. He's missed something. Accurate. She grinned a savage mm-hmm. grin. But don't worry. When I return to power, I will figure it out. And then... She made a gun hand, pointed it at my head, and said, and then, <laughs> <laughs> You have to be so cool to pull that off. Yeah.
0: It's like you the, know she does. I know oh, she yeah. does.
1: It must be so chilling.
0: It's but be like, when I did
1: it just now, it was very so silly. silly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you were laughing while you did it. I think you were at a disadvantage. I have faith in your ability to do it in a scary way. Oh, boy.
1: Okay. <laughs> I also like when she's... This is She's not really being cool. She's being kind of a jerk. But when... Rachel and Tobias are pretending to be hork Pajir, and she's just like being like super confident and condescending about how like Rachel's like, it's tough to climb a mountain. You turn bird. And she's like, "Ah I'm feeling a little (laughs) sick right now, so I I can't do that. But but you go ahead, you know. I would totally morph if I could. I love it. I love it so much.
0: It was really great. In that
3: same scene, a thing that is very cool that she does is they don't tell her where she's going. Uh, Marco just gives her, inst- or they all give her instructions to like go through the mall, buy certain things, mm-hmm. and then drive up to this mountain. The things she buys include pitons and ropes, and so she just shows up on a mountain, like not expecting this, and like mountain climbs,
0: <laughs> actual like oh rope yeah, cl- free climbs up a mountain. Marco's mom must have known how to do that, and Marco but, must have known that. Yeah, but that Re- right, but,
1: but also, yeah, cool. he talks about like she pulls herself up to the top of the mountain, sweat streaming down her pretty face, and Marco's <laughs> like, "Go, mom!" Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, much better than Chapman, who, even though he has a daily run, can't handle walking up a mountain.
1: Oh, <laughs> the, the bit where the bit where she runs into Chapman is so good. Another <laughs> really cool Visser One moment where she like yeah. drops her handbag in yeah. front of him, and then she like successfully is like. Awkward, like oh god! <laughs>
0: she manages to look surprised. Right, he like speeds off, running faster in, in the other direction. In his yellow and green tracksuit, <laughs> Chapman is very not cool. He could never point at someone's head and pretend to be a Drake on beam. Yeah. Very yeah. not cool. It would be hilarious though.
1: Do you want to talk about the Andalite arrogance? Oh more, my Jenny? gosh,
0: the animorphs pretending to be Andalites was so delightful. Let me find it. It truly was. It was and delightful.
1: They're also good at it at this point. (laughs)
0: They're so good at it. So first of all, I love the setup. Jake asks, Axe, do you think we can play the role of arrogant Andalites? And Axe says, it will certainly require good acting skills to imbue the fundamentally humble and dispassionate Andalite character with a taint of arrogance.
1: Is this not a joke?
0: He is totally to, <laughs> joking.
1: I have to, I have to assume that this is Axe making a joke.
0: <laughs> oh, it is. Okay, he's like, there's no he because his humor he's a little, is so dry. Right,
1: right, right. He's no a little one understands ashamed that later. It's a joke. Yeah. Like,
0: well, okay. Because Rachel's like, yeah, humble's the first word that comes to mind when I think andelite. And then Tobias says, which is quite the burn. I think I should do as much of it as possible. I spend the most time with Axe. I can do a pretty good arrogant Andalite. Then <laughs> and Axe says, I'm very close to taking offense.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Because right. it's about Tobias saying it.
2: Yeah, I think uh, he yeah. actually so is
0: a little offended at that point. It's so
1: good. It's so good.
0: And then I loved Marcos Burn. Axe <laughs> worked at the computer for a few minutes, muttering about primitive human technology, muttering in a dispassionately humble way, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay, but then then they're pretending to be Andalites. They are super good at it. Mm-hmm. Walk North One Street, Tobias said. Embark on the large vehicle that stops at the next corner. Disembark at J C Petty. It's called a bus, you Andalite fool. This one mutters. And then Jake later says, go to the back of this establishment, Yerk. Purchase a neck protection garment. Also artificial skin designed for the protection of hands. <laughs> They're just so good. And that's that's why it's so jarring when Marco's like, uh, not to get all Prince of Egypt on you, but behold. And you're like, really, Marco? Okay. That was, I'm glad he recognized like a page later that it was delivered. Because yeah, yeah, it yeah. was like, no, no, everyone else is super good at this. Yeah, one thing that they do, um, sort
3: of verbally, or I guess, what's the verbal equivalent of thought speech? Thoughtfully, um, <laughs> is they uh, stop using contractions. Oh, yeah, which is clever. A great way to indicate that you're speaking like more formally mm-hmm. than uh, than otherwise. So you know, Cassie says, "You do not intend to merely arrest or discredit; you intend to kill him." We both know. And it's
0: just like very, um, very formal. Yeah, really okay. formal language, really yeah. stilted. Any other mm-hmm. ax things? Oh, well, I have more ax things.
1: Marco has this good moment when they're fighting the force that's coming to kill visor One, where Axe is basically doing most of the work, taking out the gear yeah. and yeah. Marco's like very complimentary, it and was I was axe definitely axe who thinking was winning
0: like, this fight, right? Yeah.
1: Axe is like definitely a warrior now. He has he oh, has earned his yes. promotion. He's got to meet someone, some other person who can promote him because oh, so true. Maybe yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it was great. I also, my note there was, I know that perhaps this will be weird, but for
0: God's sake, acquire an Andalite morph. Yeah. I really liked shortly after that, Axe says, kill her now, in public thought speak. But in private aside, heard only by me and Tobias, he added, I'm speaking only for dramatic effect, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be good for the Yerk to be frightened. It's just like, oh, Axe, you're so charming. I'm sorry I said you have no personality. (laughs) He also... Holds it together way better than I would have expected when he's talking with Visser 1. And he says like that he's Elfinger's brother, and which I think is, I don't think he usually says that to the Yerks. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, how did your brother, the mighty Elfinger, succumb to so flawed and incompetent a Yerk as Visser 3, which is so provoking. And Axe just says, I could ask you the same thing. Yeah. He replied calmly.
1: He also, uh, at the end, has accepted that he should be taking orders from Marco. And does this amazing <laughs> yeah. um, last-minute save where Marco is like, well, isn't there some like, group of other people? If you people? know
0: of a private army you can call, call them now. And Axe just leaves. Right. And he's <laughs> right. like, wait, what? what? What just happened? And then <laughs>
1: Axe comes back with the free work vijer. Yeah.
0: The private army. Nicely done. It was great. I was very intrigued by um, this thing where like, before, before Marco gets to the mountain, Axe apparently was there. There was a cluster of lean-tos for campers on the side of the clearing. Axe. Using his morphing ability should already have frightened them from the area. What does that mean? What did he do? Well, so this is one of those
1: things where it's like the escalation of what the animorphs are willing to do to get by It's like mm-hmm. normally you don't morph in front of people, but they're just like, okay, well, axe, I guess, just like do some creepy morphs and scare people.
0: Is that what they meant? And oh, I experience. thought that he like morphed into like a bear like a, or something. Yeah, like a a bear. No, I, I
1: assumed he was like a monster. Came but in and was like.
0: <laughs> Another Axe thing I really enjoyed when Axe meets the mountain goat. He's like, interesting, bearded, white-coated creatures with hooves and horns, grazers. I would point out the similarities between the mountain goat and Andalites, except for my extremely disappointing experience with the cow.
1: <laughs> wow. Master of understatement. He's
0: really hoping to find like an Andalite-esque species mm-hmm. on this planet, I think.
1: Poor lonely boy. Aww. There are a couple of moments when Marco does the, like, Axe isn't one of us thing. There's, like, Aww. a chapter that ends where he's like, Where is Axe? Where was the Andalite?
0: That was so weird. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, how rude, Marco. Was it just you needed something else to make it sound dramatic? Come on. I did think there was an out of character moment for Axe near the beginning. There's the problem of visser One inhabiting your mother's body, Axe stated bluntly, and the temptations that seeing her again might arouse leave it to axe to be blunt and i was like what no axe isn't blunt like axe is blunt by accident about things that he doesn't realize are significant mm-hmm. He yeah,
1: he's a little circumspect if he
0: thinks that something is sensitive he's going to be like super circumspect like when he doesn't
1: it. tell rachel tobias his dad yeah he yeah. he doesn't mm-hmm. want to
0: overstep or like say too much this is very i thought out of character for him i was like this is my ghostwriter moment this is when uh like a character said something that they probably shouldn't say and mm-hmm. They're like, I don't know, let's say Ax is just a blood person. Sure. And a bunch of those. Yeah, let's hear them.
3: Hey, you know a word that they use constantly in oh. this book and never in oh. any of the other books? And Embark. Man. <laughs> 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 it's like a constant. There's all this like, it's okay, dude. Hold on, man. Hold on. And it's Like, what what do you why are you I calling each like other man all the time? They use that a lot. Do they not? But like Rachel uses it oh yeah like there's a lot
2: of
1: teens talk that's a good call (laughs) it didn't bother me but in retrospect now that you
3: say it it was
0: very weird
1: yeah i would you like to hear my theory about why jenny didn't like this book yes because early on marco eats a bowl of honeycomb
0: oh well that's obviously (laughs) true i mean that was just a harsh blow
1: okay the other thing that jumped out to me uh, that was ghostwriterly was there was a
0: (laughs) other than the honeycomb (laughs) a weird emphasis
1: on women's clothing did anyone else Mm. notice this no. And it comes up, like, also a couple of times in, like, Marco's, like, a skeevy teenage boy. Yeah. So, like, he has this bit where he is restraining his mother. And mm-hmm. he reflects on the delicateness of her silk blouse. His
3: blouse. And then yeah. a
1: page later is like, I'm not frisking my own mother. Which like maybe on its own would be fine. But then when he they wake up Cassie in the middle of the night, there's this <laughs> moment where like she startles out of bed and she's like, Jake <laughs> and he makes a joke about it. Yeah. But then like Cassie like suddenly gets self conscious and like clutches her nightshirt. Oh, right? Yeah right? And then she's like, What are you doing, Marco? And he's like, I don't know, looking for babes or so, like <laughs> checking, out, checking babes. out babes. I
0: thought that was kind of cute, actually. Like in a stupid Marco, like he shouldn't have said it way, but like I thought it was sort of, like, a gentle, like, teasing Cassie kind of, like, you know, we're checking out babes, so we came to find you.
1: Yeah, I guess. And, like, he refers to his mother as pretty-smelling at one point. That
0: was a little weird.
1: He talks I mean, about guess, how pretty like, she is when she's sweating I mean, like, at
0: the how end. athletic she is. He like, talks a lot so about how pretty she is, which I feel like is more of a, like, I'm so proud that my mother is pretty because I care too much about looks. Mm-hmm. But, like, it did, like, Twig is a little weird. Yeah. There was like the like my like beautiful intelligent nice smelling mother or something is yes. how pretty yeah. smelling I think pretty yeah smelling. and I guess like little kids do like you know remember the smell of like their parents perfume and he probably has like a shirt of hers that he kept for while because it smelled right, like right. her after her death oh and
1: then uh, the other clothing moment is when he he has a whole bit about pantyhose when he's like <laughs> waiting for Mister One but. In the store
0: <laughs> that was kind of great <laughs> In a like wow kids are terrible way where like he's like yeah I was like hanging out by the the pantyhose section I hope no one from school would see me like that's the kind of thing that sticks with you in school yeah. yeah I was like yeah I don't know if that stuff stuck out as like ghostwriterly to me
3: I have a uh, inconsistency plot hole that I what? think might be because How of the be? turn. Be? <laughs> At least I'm going to assume that this is a ghostwriter thing. Possibly I'm just reading this wrong, but I don't think I am. So the whole reason that Visser 1 is willing to negotiate with the Animers mm-hmm. is that they will lead her to the Freehork vigier mm-hmm. so that she can use that information to expose Visser 3's incompetence. Mm-hmm. What? But she has satellite footage? She has satellite (laughs) footage of the Free Hort Bashir. So, I'm very confused about why you need them to leech. You have satellite footage.
0: That's a good question. I actually noticed that and was like, oh, okay, but she probably just found it on a database and can't figure out where it actually is or something.
3: I, I, but no, but, she's got yeah. this surveillance
0: equipment with oh, a right. satellite dish. <laughs> good point. And
3: in the middle of the console is a screen mm. with images shot from above of the free Horde well, you, you have that. Yeah. I mean... Maybe it's hard to approach it. <laughs>
1: well, I was just going to say the York politics insight that we get here is very interesting because I feel like it's definitely an anything goes, whoever can... Make the most persuasive argument to the council in the moment mm. is going to carry the day. So it's like, I bet she's like, okay, well, if I say I've got some videos of free Horkbagier, Visitor 3 would just be like, yeah, and then we killed them, right? By the way, you're still a traitor, right? Mm-hmm. So like, she needs the decisive evidence of like, oh yeah, there are, you know, a hundred of them and they have this yeah. whole colony. And like, it's not just a few rogue ones in the woods.
3: Also, um, hey, the Element, gonna create a secret valley. <laughs> Maybe. Hide that shit from surveillance equipment. How's that for a good plan? Yeah. Oh, all yeah. powerful. <laughs> okay, wait. So,
1: the other pothole that we haven't talked about yet is the beginning of the book where Visser 1 what
0: was in disguise
1: this? runs into Marco on the street, okay. which can only be explained as an Elements versus Cryak stupid coincidence. So, no, I
0: don't want it to be because I want to be mad at it. He's great. like, Let's I don't know, out. I'll just skip school and go downtown, I guess. He goes downtown, gets off the bus, and runs into his mother. Like, what... What? That is completely narratively unjustified. That is way too much coincidence. If you're having a coincidence that terrible, like, or that, like, egregious, it has to result in, like, you can get away with coincidence if it results in bad things for your characters. Like, this was like, oh, look, this opportunity that kicks off this book can't get away with coincidence in that context. Yeah,
1: at least someone is surveilling the free hork Let's figure out who it is.
0: Yes, there could have been, she could have done something that would have drawn their attention to her and then they could have tried to find her.
1: Even more interesting, Visser One checks up on her host's son who she knows to be a controller from
0: 15.
1: You know, like there are a lot of ways you could have done it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Also, I realized that if the Animorphs had not gotten involved in this, it actually would have been better for them in the long run. (laughs) (laughs) She's surveilling the Horkuji, but if she can't find them...
1: Which presumably she can't because it's elementary shenanigans. Right.
3: Yeah. Then them not getting involved is like, okay, so the Hork-Bajir are not going to be affected by this. Fine. In getting involved in this, now Visser One knows that the Animorphs are humans, or that the, the Andelite bandits are actually humans. hmm And they have not done any damage yeah. to Visser three or Visser One, really, in the long run. Yeah. And they've
0: killed five free Hork-Bajir. Yeah. Like th- they did not help. I mean, it is possible that now the Free Horkwajir Valley is believed to be destroyed. Maybe. Yeah. Hard to say. It's unclear. Like Ted that. said, they're still going to be stealing Horkwajir and bringing right. them there, so...
1: Yeah, it's unclear. I mean, we should get your speculation on what will happen with... Not just in the next book, but like I want to know what's going to happen.
0: Is Visser one dead? And if not, what's going to happen next? Right.
1: Okay, great. We'll circle back. Yeah. Circle back to it.
3: But you're right. This this whole coincidence at the beginning. It's also oh. the other part of it that was like very annoying was so she knocks into him and somehow manages to completely knock him over in the middle of commuter traffic. Or mm-hmm. Fine. But then it's not like he looks up and is like, "Oh, hey, my mom." He realizes it because he decides (laughs) that he is going to pay this commuter back for knocking him over, runs around the corner, and is going to, like, trip her to pay her back for knocking him over. For whatever reason, she's uh-huh. blonde.
1: It reminds him of Rachel. <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> oh no! And then, as he sticks his foot out to trip her, he looks up and realizes it's not. Mo- so <laughs> it's not even like a—it's like a <laughs> yeah, <it's> even more <laughs> force.
1: Imagining Mr. One like walking down the street and out of the corner of her eye, seeing this this like teenage kid like standing on one <laughs> foot, looking at her like mouth open, and she's like,
0: "That's weird,"
1: and <laughs> keeps going.
0: This was actually the biggest thing that made me feel like like not buy this book.
2: Yeah, um, it's a really because
0: it all hangs on this yeah. completely implausible thing. It didn't that didn't feel real to me. So I was like, but okay, well the rest of this doesn't really count because it doesn't feel real. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
1: I totally agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, but I had I I do remember this book uh-huh. and it's like. That's the kind of thing that did not bother me when I was 11 years old. Yeah. Right. It was like, oh. ooh, of course. Like, now it's like <laughs> next chapter in the Visser 1 saga. Like, ah. <laughs> you know. Of course, Visser One's going to be coincidentally reintroduced and then she's going to be fake killed at the end. And every other Marco book from now until the end of the series at book like 300 or whatever. it'll You know, like, uh-huh. That's, uh-huh. that's, I think, how I understood this kind of plot.
0: I can't remember what I thought of this book. Like, I don't remember having a bad impression of this book. Like, there are some later on that I think I didn't love. But, like, I think I was just – but I clearly didn't reread it a lot. And I think it might have been, having just read some of my ninth grade diary, I think part of it was, like, at this point in the series, I was, like, super into the romances. Mm, Because, like, in the, like, second half of – the or like in the twenties, the romances start like intensifying, and you get more stuff, and you know. And I think I was just like less interested in the Marco books because there was no romance there.
1: Can we talk about the one part in this book that made me really squee from a shippy perspective?
0: Please go on.
1: It was when Marco catches up to Rachel and Horcrux Diarmorph, uh-huh. and he's he's like has to break this bad news to them, and she's like, "Yeah, I haven't seen Tobias yet," and. Tobias is there (laughs) hiding in a tree. Being super smug about how and G are meant to be in trees and how sneaky he is and undetectable. And I can just imagine him being like, okay, when's Rachel going to notice me? Oh my god, Rachel, I could have killed you three times by now. <laughs> Come on, Rachel. And he like, he drops something out of the tree and she like looks at it and doesn't look up at him. And then finally Marco shows up and he's like, all right, all right. I've worked out the perfect cool thing to say. I'm going to reveal myself.
0: Yes, I buy it. I love it. So... Yeah, there wasn't much shippy from a Marco perspective. Like, there's there's nothing going on with Axe in this book. Sorry, sorry to say it. And I also, like, Jake is very important to him in this book. Rachel is important to him in sort of like a, a different way. Cassie did not seem important to him. Like, she's the mm. one who's, the moral, who's morally the most opposed to him in a lot of ways. And I could see maybe him not wanting to, like, listen to her opinions in this book. Mm. I could also see him not wanting to listen to them, but actually thinking they're really important. And we just don't get a sense of that. Like, that, you know, that happens in the book sometimes where they're like, we're focusing on the relationship between these characters yeah, and we don't care about this one. And Cassie just doesn't seem like a significant, You know. He doesn't seem like he places a lot of significance on Cassie's perspective here. Mm-hmm.
1: And he doesn't make the connection. It would have been really easy for that final, what would you do conversation to be between Marco and Cassie. And we've mm-hmm. been a lot more philosophical. Yeah. Right. And maybe, I think maybe, maybe when Marco is vulnerable, Cassie can't really help him because her advice would be like... Stop it. Stop it. Like, (laughs) you're hurting yourself.
0: Oh, I mean... Yeah, I guess her perspective is so different from his that it doesn't feel relevant to him, maybe.
1: Maybe. But, like, the thing is, they frame it in terms of he's avoiding Jake for that reason, right? But, like, so you could kind of read it, like, he's super avoiding Cassie because he doesn't even think about her. But I think it's just not the relationship they focus on. Yeah,
0: I think it's just not really that much of a thing for him. Yeah, I mean,
3: Cassie wants Mark to be more sad about his mom. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, so she sort of represents what he's pushing back against. Mm -hmm. And so it could have been more of her at the end. But no, they didn't go that way.
1: Is it time to talk about the recon team?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Have we had
1: a Marco Axe Tobias team book before? Is this the first Marco Axe Tobias mission?
0: I think it is what we got in 15 when they split up and he like walked into the office. and the No, underwater Rachel thing. was there. Rachel was there. Right? No. Because
1: he throws the chair.
0: Okay, um, well, Rachel's there at the end. But like when the team splits up and... Uh, Jake and Rachel and Cassie are providing a distraction and acts to Oh, when he reveals Marco. himself. To, yes, yes, yeah. yes.
1: You're right. I was thinking yeah. of a later moment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, th- so we, we have had, had it there. one time before. Because
0: they're the, they're the sneaky ones, we decided. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not super sneaky. Good.
1: Now that it has happened twice, I'm willing to spoil <laughs> this for Grey. Great. They are a team. Like this is not the last time. We really? Get I don't Marco remember X this. Tobias. Okay, great. Yeah. It's like I don't really remember how many other instances. There's at least one that I can think of. Uh-huh. But like for some reason oh, this becomes a thing. And I just want to read the sneaky ones. My favorite part. No, my favorite part about their dynamic is they have the option of escaping from Visser One's office and leaving her to die. And Marco uh-huh. is like, I'm taking over the mission. We're gonna <laughs> stay. Right? Even though Tobias is nominally in charge. There's this oh, moment. For Tobias. You are being extremely foolish, Axe said. Bull. You're letting your hatred of Yorks get in the way. If Visser 3 is trying to kill Visser 1, there may be an opening for us. An opportunity, Tobias said thoughtfully. Maybe, Axe allowed. But Prince Jake said we were not to. Blame me, I muttered. We will, <laughs> no. Tobias said to laugh, <laughs> And then they fight. And I love this so much because what it says about their like dynamic. I feel like they're all, like, they feel very persuadable. Very, like, (laughs) neutrally oriented here. Uh Axe is, like, slightly more inclined to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Marco is slightly more inclined to break the rules. (laughs) And Tobias could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they all, this dynamic really gels in this scene. Mm -hmm. And I love it. We can maybe talk more about why they take the others out of commission for the scene. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same reason it was in 15, but I love the recon team.
3: I do, too. I think they are hilarious and adorable, and they make delightful decisions. Um, <laughs> I particularly appreciate the way that Tobias and Marco interact in this. Mm-hmm. Like Axe kind of throws in his two cents, but there's a part where he's basically forcing them to do what he wants to do, to like go more of the uh-huh. goat at the end of the recon mission. And uh, he says, I knew they'd hang with me, and Tobias had no choice. He could either try to stop me forcefully or go along. You're a jerk, Marco, Tobias said. <laughs> yeah, I love you too, I said.
1: Uh-huh. And
3: I was like, oh, you guys.
1: <laughs> there's, also, there's also a great moment where Marco is like, Tobias was annoyed because I had taken control from him. <laughs> but I don't think that's the right read. I don't think Tobias actually cares about the control. Uh-huh. I think he just cares about Marco, right? Like, mm. he can see that Marco's, you know...
0: I do think he's... Not doing well. I think he's being snippy because... So it's when they're, like, waking up Cassie, which is an amazing scene. She's not moving, he said. Is she in there? No, it's after midnight. So naturally, she's out in the yard playing hacky sack, Tobias snipped. He was ticked at having control taken from him. Mm -hmm. I can kind of see that. I mean, he thinks Mm -hmm. that this is... Maybe it's more he thinks this is dumb, what they're doing. But he's like, I'm supposed to be in charge here, and Marco's doing this dumb stuff. I don't (laughs) think he's, like, someone who's desperate to be in charge, but 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 he is, like... (laughs) i didn't write i didn't write it down but i can tell you that tobias keeps like tapping louder and louder and then breaks the window and then cassie sits up and says jake
1: right and she's like oh guys i'm gonna have to explain this to my parents and x is like tell them a bird broke the window
3: it won't be a lie
0: And Cassie's like that'll be a nice change
3: and then, in the, so then they wake her up and she uh. says, yes, if you want to go and be on a mountain, a good morph would be a mountain goat. Now, can I get back to sleep, please? And so they go off to the zoo. Well, it
0: turns out it's a good thing they asked her because Marco's like, great, a goat from the petting zoo. And she's like, no, you idiot. I mean, she doesn't say you idiot because she's Cassie. She's like, no, she's no. Like, no, man. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> a mountain goat. So then they go
3: off to the gardens to find the mountain goat. And is uh, a little nervous about it. He says, what if he wakes up? This is your little picnic. You tell me, Tobias Snipe. (laughs) And he says, all right, get off my back. We just need to get along here. And Tobias says, okay, I'm done pouting. Unless we end up getting kicked cross country by these big goats, then I'll pout plenty. But I was like, I didn't read you as pouting. Like... I That's did just sort been of. Interesting. I mean, he
0: was he was being snippy. He was he yeah. was his snippy self. It's, it's like when he
1: was trapped in the cage.
3: Yeah. In
0: 29.
1: 29. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the bars. On the bars.
0: I really
3: want to buy. I want Tobias's perspective from what happens next because they acquire <laughs> the mountain goats and then the, the other mountain goats come to like see what's going on and it turns out that mountain goats playfully butt <laughs> each other and so oh. as Tobias like flies away to safety and Axe jumps over the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Marco gets butted down a 15-foot high cliff by a 250-pound angry male mountain goat. I love
1: this. Marco so deserves this moment. So I was good. so pleased.
0: I was curious, though. Like It seems like this is when Tobias comes around to like, okay, I'll follow Marco. And then at the end, when Rachel's like, no, this is ridiculous. Tobias is like, no, chill. I trust Marco. Let's yeah. follow his plan. And I wonder if it is just like he needed to like be annoyed for a little while
2: because
0: mm-hmm. like it doesn't seem like there's really a reason why he's like okay at this point i am on your side yeah yeah you know? i do like the three of them just being dumb together though <laughs> it's just very funny well i do think it's um, like ted you were saying you know, don't you're not sure like why exactly those other three were taken out of commission i do think it was to give marco more agency and like, Jake and Rachel are very much people who will put themselves forward. And certainly Cassie would put herself well, right. forward with something with so much emotion. Rachel before. and Cassie
1: would have two very strong opinions. And so if yeah. you want the scene to not be about that discussion, right. you have Just, to take them out of it. Right. Yeah. And then
2: Jake.
0: And, and Tobias and Axe, like I've said before, like I feel like they are among the characters who are less likely to put themselves forward and try to influence the action. Like, they're more able... Or they're more right. likely to let Marco. They also get have away a fairly stuff.
1: loose relationship with morality. <laughs> <laughs> the, same, the same way Marco does, but for very different reasons.
0: Like kind of people. Does Tobias? Pretty, he's pretty. Had... He's fairly neutral, I okay. think. I think
1: he's, he's generally kind of like idealistic and mm-hmm. pacifistic. And he's like, I wish I didn't have to be a predator, but I am.
0: Mm-hmm. Also,
1: he commits genocide and kills Hitler.
0: So, yeah he is very good at seeing two sides of things like he's often the one who connects with he, Cassie he also doesn't stuff.
1: seem to reflect on anything bad that he does ever despite being yeah. very thoughtful
3: he so mostly reflects why, on being a bird yeah
1: yeah
3: a lot about the bird less about the Mercora. <laughs> Uh, Another thing I like about the three of them is that, yes, Marco is – he is not nominally in charge, right? Tobias, in theory, is, like, Uh the one who gets to make calls. But he's the one who's really forcing the action. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because what happens right before the caper is the beginning scene where he meets his mom and then, like, follows her into this building when he makes a series of incredibly dumb decisions. What even were those decisions? For no reason. And a a thing that the text does (laughs) that I was very, very annoyed by (laughs) – was three or four different times he says there was only one thing i could do i had only one
0: option this is the only choice and And none of them were just morphing cockroach and getting on someone's shoe and getting out of there there was yeah and all of them were very bad decisions
1: so i was really annoyed and i was suspending my disbelief until he's like okay we're going back to the building and i have just the morph Cockroach, and I was like, "Yes,
0: I've been saying that the <laughs> whole time, man. Just
1: be a cockroach. Don't
0: morph, Mister Grant. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which Wait, was another weird coincidence. We have to talk about this. So, I actually really did like the thing that he did to get into the building. I thought that was good thinking. At least it was, you know, in inventive you and it
2: worked.
0: It? Yeah, he. He's trying to follow his mom into this building, and it's like a building where you have to wave a pass to get in. And he waits by the revolving door until this, this guy comes in. He takes the guy's hand, starts acquiring him so the guy will be, like, passive and go along with stuff. And it's like, it's take your kid to work day. Hi, Dad. Let's go
1: on. I love how the strategy is just being an annoying brat.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and he, so he calls it out. He's like, I've noticed that if you act dumb as a kid, like adults will just, you know, like anyway and stuff. It's when you seem like you might be smart that they get worried. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, fair.
1: What did you think about this from a how acquiring works standpoint? I generally?
0: was curious about like, so he can still walk while he's in the acquiring well,
1: trance? The thing that I noticed, I think it's there's some more pieces of evidence for my theory that the acquiring trance is like really touch dependent because mm. he's able to hold on to the guy and carry him to the elevator. And then as soon as he lets go, the guy is like, mm. oh, you ate a jelly donut. <laughs> and then with the goats later, they switch off from person to person. Uh, right. Like, like they're very quick. about doing. It. So it's not like, you maybe,
0: know, maybe. fixed period of time. Yeah. I don't think you can stretch it very far. So then, to continue the crazy coincidence train, uh, Marco – so he, like, he turns into a fly, but then – No, no. Okay. Oh, no. he. You're right. Sorry, I forgot. Go on. <laughs> the, the reason – apparently the reason he turns into a fly – where does he turn
3: into a fly Yeah, flag, right? So he he goes into the elevator with a ton of people. This is a huge elevator. There are like 15 Very crowded people. elevator. Yeah,
1: Isn't they're, there like a dolly that he is <laughs> on the other side of?
3: There's a there's no he the guy with the dolly gets off the uh, train and then fifteen people pack into this elevator. Uh-huh. And he <laughs> he well, has it's to the get Southern out.
2: Building,
3: I mean. <laughs> he has to get out when his mom gets out, but can't let her see him. Uh-huh. There is only one thing I could do. And so, in an elevator, surrounded by 15 people, Uh he picks up a newspaper to hide behind and then, in the corner of the elevator,
0: morphs into a fly. (laughs) Yep. 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 Just love this. Okay, my comment on this was wow, he must really be tiny.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's just like this kid he covers himself in a
0: newspaper and that's so
3: Disappears. And then there's a... Now there's a pile of clothes and like a in the corner I did kind of the I like,
0: like the call out to like, yeah, commuters on an elevator in the morning are just not seeing anything.
1: It's like The Secret World of Alex Mack. You know, like <laughs> yeah. he just melts into a puddle.
0: But it's also like other options.
3: <laughs> I... I have a list for you.
1: A woman, a woman sees him halfway (laughs) morphed and says, "Oh!" And then looks back, but it's it's okay. And then
3: then she gets off the elevator
1: instead of being like, "Um, excuse me, who left this pile of boy clothes?"
3: (laughs) And a boy, a half boy, half fly melting in the corner does not say any of that. Just goes, "Oh!" And then gets off the elevator.
1: At some point, when he needs to hide his identity, he pulls down his hat. Which is only established in the moment where he needs to hide his identity. He didn't
0: have a hat before. No, what
1: kind of hat do you think Marco was wearing? I'm imagining uh. a rainbow, like, beanie with a propeller <laughs> on
0: it. <laughs> oh, see, I was imagining a, um, a, a baseball cap with some sort of Nickelodeon character on the front of it. Mm.
3: <laughs> That's probably right. If it were Gag. nowadays, yeah. <laughs> if it were nowadays, it would be a fedora, but... Is the 90s so i think baseball camp as, as a 13 year old you think he would have a yeah, fedora i feel like he's that kind of a 13 year old okay all right um
2: yeah
3: here are some other options for marco in the moment where he decides to morph. oh go on one what would gray do make note of what floor she gets off at. <laughs> <laughs> then,
0: of course then you don't know what door she goes through sure yeah sure
3: um, follow her off the elevator as more than one person can get off the elevator at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably some other stuff. My point is you have other options. You did what? Oh.
0: They should really have Cheers. other human morphs. Yeah. Like, well, now he does. He well, used to be Mr. Grant. But apparently he can't morph into Mr. Grant because his morphing outfit is too small for Mr. Grant and he bursts out of it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So then the next really stupid thing he does. So he morphs fly, which is that was dumb in itself. But being a fly is a great idea, except he gets sucked up by the building's like HVAC system. I just
1: want to give him credit. <laughs> actually, Once he finds out where she is, he leaves. Mission- is when true. he accomplishes the mission, yeah. he leaves. He restrains himself.
0: Obviously. Okay, we'll give him some credit. <laughs>
1: Continue, though. It's but terrible. Then,
0: <laughs> then, so he's being blown through this HVAC system, so he's like, I know, I'll demorph. And then he's like, wait, I don't really fit. Except that he actually does fit, because this kid is tiny. <laughs> okay, except I think what actually happens
3: is that Oh no, okay. See, I, I thought he stopped morphing. He was able to stop the morph halfway uh, through. Oh, maybe he
0: stopped the morph and then, like, and then out slid out of the out thing. Out that would make tiny it mark.
1: less of a plot hole. I thought he was fully demorphed f- and then I just forgot he that he might could have remorph. Fully which I was appalled by.
0: So he gets out, he gets into this yeah. office and realizes it's Mr. Grant's office, which really, this huge building. The one person you acquire, this is his well, office? Well, he's one
1: floor below, and Mr. Grant did get notes. It's terrible.
0: It's terrible. <laughs> so then he's like, aha, the only mm. thing to do, morph Mr. Grant. No! Morph I, a cockroach! <laughs> I had no choice. I had to morph Mr. Grant. My note here is, Jesus, give me strength. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so annoyed. Okay, but, so, doesn't make any sense.
3: No.
2: It's no.
1: great, though, for a couple reasons. One. Go on. Uh, Marco does not care about crossing the anamorphs Yeah, no, like he doesn't. Bright lines when <laughs> bright
0: his mom lines is in. It's a different line. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> when his mom is in play like he's like I'm gonna acquire Mr. Grant I'm not gonna use Mr. Grant of course (laughs) and then in this situation he's like alright whatever I'm turning into an old man and then so I really love the moment when he's like cool I'm old you know I'm a lot this is my future (laughs) this is my future
0: I hate it Um,
1: it's not great right (laughs) he said something like I did not get taller but I got wider Mm. and
3: his
0: his he did not get taller his hairline (laughs) what the heck does Mr. Grant look like he's like four and a half feet tall
1: <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it says though. Wow. Um, and then then he he orders a Starbucks from his intern to get out of the situation. Uh, He's
0: just naked in a cubicle farm. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
1: And then he runs to the men's room, runs into Mr. Grant, who faints,
3: and then steals his clothes and leaves. <laughs> My favorite thing Why? about him, what he, happens to Mr. Graham? Well, and and his reaction to this is not. I can't believe I'm doing this, but oh man, oh man, Jake is going to kill me, yeah. and if he doesn't, <laughs> Cassie will. Externalized and my note here morality. Was, they are going to have to get in line because <laughs> <laughs> I going to kill him first. He,
1: like, he steals the man's suit and leaves him naked in the closet. He locks him
0: in the closet. <laughs> in a group okay. closet. also steals it says skirt. he like. Fell down or lost consciousness or something. It doesn't say why. No,
1: you think just, Marco punched him?
0: <laughs> just saying there are possibilities.
1: Okay, it's what would clear. you do? What would you do if you went to the bathroom at work and when you opened the bathroom door you saw yourself naked and you got punched unconscious? You woke up in a broom closet and snuck your way back to your office to find uh-huh. a cup of coffee you hadn't. <laughs>
0: take the rest of the day off. Well, okay, but you don't have any clothes on, so you can't just walk. You out find of your a outfits. shredded
1: morphing outfit.
0: I would, I would never tell anyone about it, and I would call someone I trusted to bring
3: me clothing. I, okay, so Mr. Grant. We don't know who he is, but he's an incredibly high
0: power. He's very important. The guards are like, "Oh, your father's really important, kid." Yeah, the guards think he's really important. Then yeah, he's he's like the CEO of something.
1: I'm pretty sure those guards probably say that to every kid. (laughs) (laughs) Take your kid to work day. It's like listen to your parents.
0: That's a good point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's so powerful, it's an emperor has no clothes situation Mm. where he can just walk around the office. I mean, this is the 90s, right? So he's like, <laughs> sure. no one can judge me. I'm going to fire you.
3: Nice. Um, this is like a 90s reference that's not really a 90s reference because in the 90s, there was no such thing as take your son to work day. It oh. was take your daughter to that's work true. day. That's true. And then they changed it to take your kid to work day mm-hmm. later. But after my time, because I got to go to take your daughter to work day, my brother never did. And he was real nice. pissed about
0: it. You're right. That's a thing. It was a thing. Speaking of Marco making terrible decisions about which morph to be in. (laughs) Yes, please. So they have this whole plan for trapping Visser 1. It involves Marco never being the one to speak because they don't want her to recognize his voice, his thought speak voice. So they have this thing where Jake is going to be speaking to her, but he has to be a fly for some reason. (laughs) And that means Marco has to be human because (laughs) flies are bad at seeing distances. So Marco has to be there as a human. There are so many other ways they could have done this. They could have had Marco morph a different human like Jake. Or they Mr. could have Greg. had Jake morph a different human so that he could still thought speak. They could have had Jake be the dragonfly, which is better at seeing. There, there are so many different options. Also, we no know that Visser
1: One is pretty smelling, so the fly should be able
0: to
3: track her no problem. <laughs> or- you know, they've got to flee, be a flea, and be on
0: her. Like, the okay, test- well, that I think he had to be able to see his surroundings, like to see what was go- what she was doing and what was going on. Can we
1: talk about that, that scene though? Because, so this was a, at some point after Jake says, okay, he's like, okay, Marco, you make the, you call the shots. And then cut to they're, they're getting Visser One to buy clothes in the mall. And Rachel is there in disguise. <laughs> Do you think Marco is responsible for. Rachel's incredible, incredible disguise.
0: <laughs> Tell us about her disguise, Ted. Okay,
1: Rachel, her hair in two dorky braids and a goofy fisherman's cap low on her head <laughs> was staked out in shoes and handbags.
0: I really love the thing Rachel does. She is she is good under pressure, better than Cassie. Uh, there's a a controller who's like working as a clerk in the store who recognizes Mister One is like, Oh, you have to come with me, ma'am. I saw you steal that scarf, and Rachel. And Rachel's like, chill, Marco, I've got this. And she locks her hand around visitor one's wrist and a loud nasal whine says, I saw you buy that scarf. <laughs> and then she's like hiding her face. This woman is being arrested and she didn't do anything. Lady, lady, you sold her that scarf. Now she's being arrested. What kind of store is this? <laughs> I love Rachel's superpowers of being able to navigate any like mall store situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like her and the escort. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's just so perfect.
0: It's so good. And she does, like, kind of save the day, she right? She There's a big
3: crowd of people. She knows
0: exactly how to manipulate this crowd of shoppers mm-hmm. so that Visser 1 can get away. You know, maybe so mall knowledge should be her major in college. Fashion merchandising. <laughs> there is
3: a bit at the end where Visser 3, one of the people in the Visser 3 group, is this Red-haired guy who is very good at oh, being. Oh, what happens with that guy? What happens with Nothing that guy? happens with that he guy. He just goes
1: back and gives a report.
3: Yeah, but like, ugh. he was he seemed Check
0: briefly off very important. Guy. Yeah,
3: and then he was not at all. I thought maybe it was going to be like Jake and Morph or something. It was not apparently, yeah. and I wondered if if that does he come back? Maybe that'll I don't be, know. That's going to be part of my next prediction. Is nice. red-haired guy comes back?
0: Yeah, I like it. Uh Random thing we didn't mention about Tobias. So Marco's like, yeah, we're going to do this plan. We don't need to tell Jake. Tobias shifted his wings, moving slightly away. I swear, I've never met anyone who could express disapproval the way Tobias can. I love uh, him. I love him so I know good. people like that. <laughs> this is something that I love about Tobias and Rachel's relationship, where they both just can be very snippy and seem to enjoy each other's snippiness. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's just the kind of people they are. There's um, some crankiness there.
1: I have a couple things. First, when did you all get, if you did get, the birds and the bees talk from your parents? What age?
0: I don't know, like 10?
1: 10 or 11? Yeah,
0: yeah. Don't be ridiculous. I didn't get a birds and the bees talk <laughs> oh, from my parents. Oh, no.
1: That's like okay, I also didn't really. Like, you. they left it to, like, whatever school, mm. you know, had to say. But I was like, does the... I was wondering, did Visser 1...
2: <gasps> Give him the birds and
1: bees talk.
0: So it wasn't like was it? Uh, was he ten right.
1: or was he eleven? Okay, like, well it's
0: been four, four years. So it's been four years since
1: right, his like, mom got
0: infested. Would you, would you have, At this point, it's well, yeah, okay. So four years. So he was about nine when his mom got right. Infested. So
1: like if he was if he was ten or eleven, yeah, it would have been Viser One doing it. Unless yeah. like, third grade seems like really early.
0: Yeah, no, that's really early. It seems like the kind of thing that as a controller you would try to get out of. (laughs) Either that or you like wouldn't really care. Like
1: Or maybe maybe Visser One did it in like the most embarrassing way possible to like torture.
0: (laughs) How much active parenting did she do as a Visser of the Yerk Empire? Like (laughs) Can you imagine her spending a lot of her energy, like, being, like, a parent and a partner? Like, that's a lot of time and energy. No wonder she escaped.
1: <laughs> no, I think, but, like, she clearly figured out how to optimize it. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's really going above and beyond, giving, like, some kid the birds and the bees talk as part of your, like, cover role as a yeah. jerk.
1: I also had—so one of the things that I liked about the ghostwriting was I feel like there was just a lot of compelling prose about like him being in the city or him sneaking back into school. Hmm. And then the one bit that I really liked is when they are—when um, Recon Team is about to morph Roach. So first he foreshadows that cockroaches are indestructible, which was, like, I liked in retrospect— Jake and Cassie survive being exploded because they're roaches, and Marco mm-hmm. talks about that earlier. But then, then he goes on to say, and the reason I'm reading this is because these are top-notch morph descriptions. Oh, yeah. Uh, the wind was whipping. Heavy clouds covered the moon and the stars. Only the lights on in the surrounding buildings pierced the gloom. We were three mutants on a depressing, deserted island in the sky. Ooh. An acre of tarred gravel and air-conditioning machinery surrounded us. There was a flagpole, no flag. The hoist kept slapping the pole with a sort of hollow twang. The sight of Axe halfway between andelite and Cockroach was more interesting than disturbing. Like an armadillo from Planet Killer Be Killed. <laughs> a cat-sized beetle with a shell made of steel and six roach legs, each with an andelite hoof. Add to that a foot-long tail with a spike made to stab, and you have one mean-looking being.
0: That was cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Tobias, on the other hand, looked disgusting. (laughs) Red-tailed hawks and cockroaches were not meant to merge. You've got absolute majesty on the one hand and absolute utility on the other. Mother Nature didn't come up with a bird bug on her own for good reason. (laughs) 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 Tobias's beak had transformed into a jaw, opening and shutting involuntarily. Wow. Pencil-sized antennae jutted from his head. Two hairy stumps poked from the sides of his hawk neck. His wings had molted and shifted onto his back. I watched as they hardened into a translucent shell. Below them, I could see roach wings growing out of the top of his head.
0: Yeah, I I liked the writing in this one. But yeah, I, I, I did notice, um, we've been talking about how some of the ghostwriters have made the characters funnier. This is not one of the funnier books. And I think that actually is a valid character choice for Marco, because when stuff gets intense for him, he stops being funny. Mm. Yeah,
1: there's the bit. So in, in this book, Marco is in a women's dressing room at the mall with Rachel and he does not make a crass joke. Good point. He's so stressed out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I was like,
1: this is this is serious times for Marco. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's that's a good point. He does say in the narration, like, it's like, one the one and only time I would be in a woman's dressing room, which I actually think is a plot hole because didn't they go in through a dressing room in the gap?
1: Didn't he um, go in through the men's dressing room? Yeah,
3: they had
0: to split up. Oh, did they split up? But like, no, isn't I there mean, like one dressing room stall that was an entrance to the year pool? I mean, didn't they all a lot have to go into the one... Oh yeah, it was probably anyway, just a unisex so. dressing room. Okay, I did have some '90s references. Please, because it's a marker book. There are a lot of them. Uh, he mentions uh, what Sega disc he wants for his birthday. Mm-hmm. Nice. He has. Oh, he has a South Park cap. There's our answer. Yeah.
1: <gasps> Wait, in the beginning? Does,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Does that mean that it's a cap that has, like, South Park on it or that it's, like, Kyle's hat from South Park? I think it's,
1: like, Kyle's
2: hat.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. He mentions this woman had an appointment with the Dirty Pavement, courtesy of a well-placed Saucony cross trainer. It's, like, nice ninety shoe.
2: hmm
0: He looks up at Mr. Grant with an Adam Sandler idiot grin. Nice. <laughs> he mentions getting trapped, like, a big chunk of Snickers Blizzard yeah. in a straw. <laughs> Do you know how many Snickers Blizzards I had in the 90s? So many. We always went to get ice cream every Saturday. We went to Uh, Dairy Queen and we got Blizzards. Perfect. It was great. He mentions that they're not on Oprah. Uh Uh, He watches Jerry Springer at the end. And, of course, there is the Prince of Egypt reference. There is. You missed my very favorite one. (gasps) Oh, no. Man, I had such a list, too. It was a
3: really good list. But my very favorite one was he's talking about how his mother is, uh, Visser one, is cruel and wore the face of my mother, who had taught me about laughter. That was a grotesque irony. See, that's ironic, Alanis. (laughs) I muttered to Noah. Oh, he he already used that line, though. (laughs) I'm sure he did. It's still funny.
1: (laughs) Still a great 90s reference.
0: It is. It still is. So, Gray, yeah. I think you should predict the next book. But first, I think that you should predict what's going to happen with Marco's mom if she is still alive. She's still alive, obviously. and okay. she well, back, just so.
1: you got to say it. Why is she still alive?
0: Because there's no body. Because
1: there's no body. Yes. Okay. There's
3: no body. She's still alive. Very obvious. And she comes back <laughs> in 40 and 50. Okay. Would you, what happens with her? Um, the next time is another one like this where, oh, she's surprised, his mom is back, uh-huh. and they have to do something about it. And Wait, then... does
1: she fake die for a third time <laughs> <Yeah>. at the <laughs> end of book 40?
0: Yeah, You're uh, going for the third time. No, 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 the fourth, fourth time. <laughs> time. <laughs> because Marco's mom fake died, mm-hmm. then she oh, fake yeah, yeah, died yeah. in 15, now <laughs> she's fake died in 30. Yep, so she's going to fake die again in
1: 40. <laughs> Wait, so, okay, then what happens in 50? <laughs>
3: and then in 50, um, they're going to resolve this plot hole by. Uh, somehow killing the Yurk or, you know, uninfesting her and then mm-hmm. she's going to join their forces Ooh, for the big what? end battle in 54. That's awesome. Whoa. I'm super excited for this.
1: So four books, that's really yeah. that's a good specific prediction. I like
3: that. Yeah. Whereupon the Elemist sets them back all the way to the beginning and wipes their memory <laughs> of all of this and they get to live happy childhood lives.
1: Wait, of course. Resets it to so that she's infested
3: again? No, no, no. So he gets all, rid of all the yerks. Oh, just okay. Resets. There were just never any yerks. There were just, just never ready. any irks.
0: So what What price does Cryak demand for that reset? Um, in Book 53, they kill Cryac. <laughs> 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 Perfect.
3: Love Perfect. It, then the eldest can do whatever he wants. <laughs>
1: yeah. Question, though. In Book 40, <laughs> yes. how is the dynamic different based on what Visser 1 learns?
3: Mm. Yes, well... So Visser One uh, comes back in her cool Empire ship and mm-hmm. um, uh, tries to expose Visser Three. Not just because he's incompetent, but he is being beaten by a band of humans and isn't that embarrassing? Oh, so Viser Three yes.
1: is that when Visser Three is going to learn?
3: Yeah, that's when Visser Three uh, learns. And then the last fourteen books are even more intense because he knows, they're, he humans. knows they're human. Wow, great prediction.
1: So, wait, okay, really specific <laughs> predictions that the Animorphs will be exposed as humans uh-huh. in Book 40. 40. And okay. then Fisher 1 will die or uninfest Marco's mom in Book 50.
2: Yeah. Crackle okay. will
1: die in, in Book 53. 53. 53 yeah. 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 And in 54, Alamist will reset it. So, there's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. so, okay, this is great. This is really good. <laughs>
0: when Marco's mom comes back <laughs> in the Nova class Empire ship, what so kind cool. of awesome Star Trek-esque uniform is she wearing? Oh, she's wearing the ones from the
3: first time we saw her with the, like... Oh, the, 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 was the
1: gold. she gold or red?
3: I think... I don't remember. I think she was she, gold, she gold. She was probably gold. Was yeah. gold. Yeah, that seems right. The, the cool gold ones. Okay, nice. Yeah, I've got to start writing these down so, because I've been using thirty okay, as my trash. We've yeah. learned that she's a sub <laughs> now, so right.
1: does she get her rank back
3: by uh, yes. book
1: 40?
2: Or... Uh,
3: in book 40, the reason that she comes back is she's going to try one more time uh-huh. and then that it actually works. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice. It takes 10 more books for her to marshal her forces again and come back.
1: Wait, final specific question. When she reveals that they are humans, mm-hmm. is Marco's identity specifically revealed?
3: Yes, it's important that he is one of the Animorphs. So she tells Visser 3 that he's one of the Animorphs. Because uh,
1: right. I mean that would no. change the dynamic oh, a lot.
3: Oh, she doesn't know. She three. just tries to. She just uh, tries to use the fact that they're humans. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she knows she it's keeps Mar- that in her back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. She keeps. Yeah. That.
1: Okay. Okay. yeah. Okay. So Marco's fine. Interesting. Interesting. Marco's Interesting. okay. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it.
0: All right. So before we get there, gotta read thirty-one. Right. Gotta read the conspiracy. What's gonna happen?
1: I just <laughs> talked really loudly at the microphone. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> we'll I'm really that. excited to reread this one.
0: Yeah, this was not one of my favorites.
1: I don't have a strong memory of liking or disliking, but I'm really interested in it. I think I was kind of
0: like, eh, that was fine. But I, I suspect I'm going to get more out of it this time. Yeah. Why are these covers so terrible? <laughs> I like this one. It's got the nice, like, blue-green background. Yes,
3: the background is fine. It's Tell the foreground the... that I'm concerned about.
1: <laughs> Give the <laughs> okay. listeners the facts,
3: so this <laughs> This is The Conspiracy. It is a Jake book. Uh, I still cannot tell the difference between Jake and Tobias on the covers. That's because the Tobias cover model is real bad. Sure. They also just look the same. Um,
0: (laughs) But they don't. He's blonde.
3: Anyway, go on. Okay. Um, He still looks sullen. Uh, He is morphing (laughs) into his Peregrine Falcon. The little uh, subtext thing is, When they say it's all in your head, believe it. Four dots.
0: Whoa. Whoa. Uh, It's called the conspiracy And there's a thing about how I've been told I can look at the inside picture Okay, yeah, you can do that for you It is not useful Yeah,
1: sorry (laughs) Dang I wouldn't recommend basing your whole prediction What's in
3: this picture? What's in the picture, Gray? Uh, He is flying above a (laughs) He's flying above the city A crowded sidewalk While a gorilla lifts the back end of a car Huh I don't remember that happening, but I don't remember this book very well, so... Okay, um, it's all in your head. Uh, okay, so there's some kind of conspiracy theory that the Animorphs are trying to get to to the bottom of. Mm-hmm. And they are going to have to follow or somehow involve Tom.
2: Mm.
3: And also, the red-headed guy from the end of this book comes back and is playing...
0: Okay. I like it. Do you have any Mm. ideas for what kind of conspiracy it is? I say as if your prediction wasn't specific enough, (laughs) just to drive you crazy. Um,
3: It's a conspiracy about the sharing and somehow... Uh, maybe they, the Yerks are trying to ward off a conspiracy theory that the sharing is, like, actually a
0: creepy <gasps> cult organization. Oh, interesting. Okay, so oh. do the Animorphs try to, like, further this, uh, cons- this rumor? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay.
1: So nice. this is consistent with your prediction for 30 as well. So, like, if there were... If it's going to be focusing on Jake and Tom, mm-hmm. what will that drama look like?
3: Mm. Um, I think the last time that we really saw anything with Tom was the one where at the end, Jake calls him and
0: says something oh, reassuring. reassuring. Yeah. Or he like partially morphs to Wolf and then it's like, hang on. Hang yeah. And something like that. Um, cause call ID is not a thing.
3: Right. Uh, well, and he was calling from a payphone or
0: something. He was calling from Cassie's dad's oh. cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> it was real technology dumb, but anyway. it was the nineties. Um,
3: so maybe uh, Tom has been, you know, fighting back. He's he's an involuntary controller, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that in this one there's some. Oh, oh, maybe Tom's Yerk joins the Yerk resistance. <gasps> it's not going to happen because that'd be too happy. But that would be nice. Okay.
2: All right.
0: Well, we'll discuss. that I'm next so proud time. of
1: your specific predictions, <laughs> Grace. Yeah. They make me truly <laughs> happy.
0: These are these are really great predictions. I'm so confident I'm about so what happens at the end <laughs> of the series. I'm going to be so. <laughs> you're, it's going to be so interesting to get to 37 and see all your 30, predictions come true. Yeah,
3: 37 is is my, is going to be my the favorite pivot
0: point. Book. Yeah. It's <laughs> the
3: one where all everything happens. They go back to the escort world. They meet the Lyrans again. Time
1: travel five more times.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, next time, 31. Conspiracy. It's going to be great.
0: If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter.
3: Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends.
1: And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website.
3: Rachel never messes with Rachel. I think Rachel is shocked.
1: Say that again. <laughs>